It's Wes, Hank, and Andy. Oh my God, are we ever in for a ride oh. tonight? Holy cow. Holy Go ahead and say it, there, Hank. <clears throat> Best be episode ever. <laughs> Somebody say Zeppo. <laughs> you know, initially I was in the, I don't know about that. I don't know if I'm emotionally charged enough to say that it is the best episode ever, but then I had some time to stew on it as I prepared this week's show notes. And as is very frequent with me, the episodes grow on me mm. as I look at them under the microscope of get every detail. Like I, we may, and for totally different reasons, somewhere around episode three, I think we capped it around 12 out of 10 every single episode. Sure. You know what I mean? I was yeah. going, oh, yeah, yeah. was an 11 and a half, but at some point they're like, just as good as the last one in terms of quality and writing Absolutely. and content, Easter eggs, all that good stuff. But then something just trumps the last episode in a way I like didn't even see coming. Like an emotional beat that just kicks it <clears throat> over the line, right? I was Man. gonna say there was a comment you made last week about um if they're spending this kind of money, you know, on Star <laughs> Wars. So apparent again this week, the amount of money that they're spending on whether it's and we had this conversation about about the howlers is that is that a dressed up animal that's been mo-capped is that full cgi what is that it just looks yeah. so good yeah and that's when we get there i think it's both a little that bit is of both. so consistent with just about everything that we've seen uh in this episode that's just, just it. it's easily so lost in the entertainment so and the story and and the beauty and forget that every single star wars yeah parrot thing that has ever happened is always pushing the medium forward oh absolutely let me just get uh, things uh, switched up here so we can get into some of the business for tonight yeah. as i uh let me bring this up here there we go let's switch this over to here i just want to remind everybody we got uh, two more to go uh we got uh well actually one more to go before the finale before the finale um just to remind everybody that we are we are hosting our first ever uh, live watch party on uh, Tuesday, October 3rd. This is how it's going to go down. At least myself uh, will be on uh, on here uh, broadcasting live oh, I'll be 30 here. minutes before. So at 8.30 Eastern, I will be here. Andy, you'll be here. I'll be here. We will be here. <laughs> we'll have a countdown timer for you up in the corner so that we can all refresh our apps at the same time and we can hit the play button together and have an awesome night digesting the uh, the finale and then when the whole thing's over we'll hang out maybe uh say 30 minutes or so and uh, kind of chew on what we saw try and catch our breath yeah <laughs> seriously it's gonna be like <clears throat> an hour of us just being like utterly quiet interspersed with a minute of like what the fuck <laughs> what just happened oh my god did you see that what <laughs> uh, all right like three, let me get three guys uh, going <laughs> Uh, there's our uh, thumbnail for this week, by the way. That's uh, Bale and Skull uh, with an uh, allusion to this week's title, uh, Far, Far Away. Uh, 
Uh, but before we get to the uh, thoughts about Far, Far Away and the title, uh, maybe it's time that we have another one of those bad Star Wars jokes. All right. I got a couple this week. I'm not sure which one I was going to use. I might actually go with both of them. Uh, the first one for tonight is a uh, uh, courtesy of the internet. Mm. As I said before, that's where everything comes from. Guys, did you hear the about uh, uh, Obi-Wan taking Luke out for uh, Chinese food? I did not. Yeah, when they got seated, Ben said to Luke, uh, if you can't use chopsticks, use the forks, Luke. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Do you want another one? Sure. Yeah. I wrote this one myself. Ooh, oh, I wrote, that's... original. I wrote this one myself, no, and it. Uh, it totally ties into this week's episode. Guys, they anthropomorphize Sabine's howler so much, it might as well be a droid. <laughs> if droids are the new dogs in star wars then howlers are the new droids there you go <laughs> that's awesome uh what do we think about this week's title far far away i don't i don't think you could put it have it anymore on, on the, the nose. nose um the first thing that hit me was the the clip of dave filoni from last year from celebration telling us exactly where ezra yeah, was where's ezra you want to know where he is he's far far away and i went oh was that last year? I thought that was I thought 20, that, um, like March 2022. Was that last year's celebration? I think it was. I recognized um, um, Andy uh, from uh, Rebels Recon hmm. on StarWars.com. And I thought that because their show had been over for a while, I, I didn't think that they were around anymore. So that's why I just wondered if that was an older clip that I. Yeah. I, I, the, I mean, the date that I saw on it was like uh, 2022, but it, it certainly could have been that could have been the date of the post. And it could have been even older ah, right, than that. right 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 because th th my next question is was that a was that a gag like far far away or did he know oh yeah that I, far back so I, I keep i keep going back to that that scene in rebels where i i firmly believe that we got grogu sure two mandalorians facing off against a something <laughs> and i go something <laughs> and if if he's even close to anything like I am, and maybe you guys are creatively. Uh, if I embark on a story, I, I I'll end up with like a stack of like redundant. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, just stuff that doesn't matter. Like this guy's birthday and how he skinned his knee when he was four, and you, so you write down everything and then start peeling the layers back. What's what matters? Get, to the, and, get yeah. to the meat of what matters about a character, but yeah. you have this like yeah. wealth of you know. It said George Lucas has a, a diary entry for every single day of Indiana Jones's life after he's Isn't like that 10 something? years old. And Can you and imagine you that? that one? That book, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But so the, it, I don't know I just, if I could lift that book. <laughs> it'd be heavy. I, that just tells me, like, I know that he does that. I know that he's got a book of his own where he goes, uh, you know, <laughs> this this episode's called Far Far Away, and I've known it since 2018. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I think I'm there with you. I think that's absolutely true. All right, well, let's get to it. It is uh, far, far away. Uh, this one original uh, originally aired uh, Tuesday, September 19th, 2023. It is uh, written by Dave Filoni. It is directed by Jennifer Getzinger. It has an advertised runtime of uh, 49 minutes or an actual 41 minutes without titles or credits. But I put an asterisk on that. I put an asterisk on that because the audio for this week's episode actually picks up right from the Lucasfilm logos. 
before we ever get any visuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually get the uh, an audio cue of the hum of hyperspace travel and what the subtitles refer to as distant purgle calls. So if you include that, it gives you roughly another five seconds. Our episode synopsis this week reads, The search for Grand Admiral Thrawn reaches beyond the limits of the galaxy. All right. Oh, there's going to be so much to chew on this week. (laughs) (laughs) The episode opens with the pod of Purgle swimming through hyperspace. The camera pushes in on the Ultra leading the way, and we cut to the interior of the flight deck aboard Ahsoka's T-6 shuttle, where Huyang remarks that now that he's traveling intergalactically inside of a star whale, he really has done it all. Ahsoka says that she remembers them from the stories that he would tell to the younglings back at the Jedi Temple. Huyang recalls, ah, yes, the history of the galaxy, parts one, two, and three. While Ahsoka adds, one being the best, of course. <laughs> Huyang's. That's Rosario Dawson's favorite of the original trilogy. Then. I kind of wonder, like, did they ask her that? Hey, what's your favorite trilogy? Or what's your favorite movie? Yeah. Who knows? Huyang says that he still has those stories in his archives, and he asks if Ahsoka would like to hear one. But leaning on her elbow against the canopy glass, she lets out a sullen, no, not right now. It's clear that she's struggling with something, and Huyang suggests that maybe Ahsoka has a story for him. Well, she leans in and she tells Huyang that Sabine went with the enemy willingly. When she performed the sense echo on the map, she saw it through the force. Huyang calls the revelation uh, troubling. Ahsoka repeats, troubling. It's less of a statement than it is a reminder to her that Sabine could have prevented all of this had she just destroyed the map. Then there would be no Thrawn and no impending war. But Huyang points out that there would also be no Ezra. Ahsoka nods and then drops her gaze and shakes her head as she tells Huyang that Sabine was fated to make that choice. She says there wasn't enough time to prepare her to make the right choice. Huyang says that while the Force does give her insight, it doesn't provide all of the answers, and he suggests that maybe Sabine made the only choice that she had. The words don't seem to sit well with Ahsoka, and she sighs and turns in her seat and goes back to leaning on her elbow. She calls it a choice that she made for herself. Huyang looks at her and says, that is your fear. Looking at the professor, Ahsoka changes the subject and she says, on second thought, tell me one of those stories, your choice. Very well, he says, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And I like right. stood up and cheered like I won the Super Bowl or something. <laughs> I was like, oh, they said it. They said the line. It's For the first time years. <laughs> ever in Star Wars media, did we actually get a character say that uh, with an in-universe context? Yeah. And I've always thought this, but I never verbalized it before. In that moment, it became exactly once upon a time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, And I knew that intellectually, but I never really... I think it out that loud or there, put two and two together kind of thing. There's a weight to it. Like, oh, that's how they would tell stories in the Star Wars universe. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> I've included uh, some of the images, obviously, from this uh, opening sequence. But also, there is a prevailing theory. We touched on it as well. Mm-hmm. I've included a shot from season three of The Mandalorian of the T, uh, the uh, N1, the uh, uh, Mando's N1 fighter, also traveling through hyperspace. 
took me a while. I had to go back and relook at it because I'm like, was it just because we focus sort of on the one that Grogu was looking at, but there yeah. is in fact an entire pod there. An entire yeah. pod, yeah. I'm not going to get into the side conversation that we had around this because it just makes my brain hurt, especially as a ship guy when we're talking about speeds and whatnot. But from a story perspective, for an emotional beat, I really do like the idea that this is the same pod of whales from two different perspectives. And he just happens to maybe sense Ahsoka. I don't know. I Could he? Sure. Yeah. I don't know if it's a sensory thing as much as I, I mean, he was already awake and I think he just happened to be looking out the window at the right time. Mm. But again, we, we said this last week that there's with all of these theories and stuff, there is enough room for multiple ways to interpret. And certainly this episode is no different. Um, in fact, there's a lot of that coming up, but it could be, it could be that way. Yeah, it sure could. Well, if it's running concurrently with it. Right. So, all right. Now, the, um, sort of like Star Trek warp speed nod for sure with the rainbow from the most. So that picture. did I put a slide in for that? I thought I did. Ah, oh, yes, I did. So uh, let's talk about that because yeah. hyperspace looks different now, apparently, now that we're traveling between galaxies. And this effect is not limited uh, just to the Purgles. We see that effect as well out the window of the Eye of Scion. But look at the dis there's there's a distinct difference there. Mm -hmm. um, in the whale's hyperspace tunnel, the color palette is uh, very soft and warm. Um, as is the motion within the bands of, flowy. of color, right? The pinks and the greens and it the looks like a natural flow, right? Very much so. But in the Eye of Scion's hyperspace tunnel, that effect is way more, it's harsh. The color palette is less, uh, is more vibrant. And the, the banding is quite, quite jagged and harsh, almost mm -hmm. like lightning, maybe? uh, like showing us the difference maybe between traveling this way artificially versus Natural. naturally mm -hmm. all joking aside. And I, I said this, I put in the uh, ludicrous speed uh, reference from uh, um, space balls. Totally. The millennium Falcon might not be the fastest thing in the galaxy anymore. We've gone to plaid. <laughs> We've <laughs> gone to plaid. And I mean, so I get those star Trek, the motion picture vibes. I get the, uh, the rainbow bridge from the Marvel movie vibes. It's yeah, it's, it's such a wicked way to distinguish purgle hyperspace from regular hyperspace yeah also let's take a minute to unpack the line about uh part one being the, <laughs> the the best i mean there's there's every reality that i mean within the star wars universe that she's obviously she's talking about an in-universe reference by the way i am not even going to attempt to break down the history of the star Wars universe. That is, there is more reading to be done than we have time in a hundred episodes to get through. I got started. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so did I, <laughs> so did I. And then I realized, Oh wow, I gotta be uh, ready to go by six o'clock. <laughs> that being said, I mean, there's the, is she talking about, you know, there's a nod to all the, uh, the, the trilogy wars, I guess you could say mm -hmm. the trilogy wars. It occurred to me that it, the line reflects yourself back at you because oh, it, without sure a doubt me. in my mind, I thought they were talking about the, the middle trilogy and that First star movie. Wars, a new hope is the right. best one. Uh, even if the, I feel some other type of way about another movie in that trilogy, I have to I, admit that film is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. There's also the idea, the, the distinct possibility that Ahsoka Tano as a prequel era character could be referring to, the first entire trilogy, which is sort of her era. Mm -hmm. And that is sort of the, where we are right now is that, that all of the, 
the the late the 90s and the early 2000s star wars fans are having their moment now with these uh with these live action shows that really lean on the sequel yeah. the sorry the sequels the clone wars era. the prequels that were have been largely derided they're enjoying this renaissance now so it could be that as well and I don't think there's anybody out there that thinks that they're talking about the force awakens, but <laughs> I put it, I put it up there anyway. Come on, man. Come on, man. No, you know, but I, I realistically think that it's probably more on the nose than that. And they're yeah. talking about some tale we haven't heard. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. You That's know, definitely in the, universe, the but James Mangold version of Dawn of the Jedi or well, something like that. Right. When you, when you realize through some of the reading and this is just like scratching, like every time you read something historically, like I was able to like get references for events that predate the battle of Yavin, which we consider year zero right. by hundreds of thousands of yeah, years. A hundred percent. So I, I, mean, I couldn't find literature to that effect, but I found references yeah. within that literature. To that exactly. Effect. That's what I'm saying. Like there yeah. are, there are documented things within other references that talk about specific events being that old. There's just no way to cover it all. Which I think that this episode in some fashion completely undoes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like completely. Yeah. It's pretty beautiful. Well, let's just, let's hit on that one right now. Cause I actually didn't build it into the notes, but when we're talking about that kind of stuff, the big one for me this week, and I, and I, I mentioned it to you guys is that we have a very strong case for a full out retconning of the origins of the name Dathomir. Mm. We got a full on retconning for that because up until now, Dathomir was considered to be a planet that always existed. Yeah. Yeah. As Dathomir not true anymore right we got doug over on youtube doug says uh the eye crackles lightning when it exits hyperspace unnaturally it sure does <laughs> nice sure does i'm going to bring that up uh when we get to that as well uh I, i've got a slide for that i think i will want to take a look at so from there we have uh probably the shortest uh, ep uh prologue of any episode yet and we get the title cards far far away there it is. Emerging from hyperspace, the Eye of Scion sheds an electrical charge that dissipates into the void of space. The leading edge of the vessel glows red hot, but quickly fades as it moves toward the planet Peridia. That's kind of what I was getting at. Like, the idea that the Purgles are just casually passing the N1 does not, like, what are we seeing here? Like, I take that, like, we are moving at ludicrous speed yeah i had a thought that never made it into the chat but if they can oh sure, if they sure. can like you know kind of like the role-playing games in terms yeah. of the way hyperspace works if they can adjust their speed perhaps it's the that equivalent was a of, comment that we had too right pull up yeah. along them and say hey kid and then and then you take off yeah right? yeah you know so that's like is there is there throttling up and down once you're in hyperspace can you do that like well you figure if you go like by flash physics right Oh yeah, because he can go as fast, like or faster than sure, sure. time, right? So I mean, there's some control. really mm -hmm. cool stuff in the High Republic. About so true, hyperspace that that doesn't so make true. it into the, the you know the I was going to say regular canon, but that is totally canon stuff. That is like, true. Yeah, oh, the, geez, the event I'm going ahead. The event that starts the High Republic story is yeah, uh, a ship is wrecked, attacked and wrecked in hyperspace, and when it comes out. It's yeah. chunks are moving through hyperspace. Oh wow! At speeds of like yeah. near hyperspace, yeah, 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 destroying planets, destroying moons. Uh, so there's a That's lot more going grim. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
From space, uh, Peridia looks cold and gray, further accentuated by uh, rings, which, by the way, are composed entirely of bones. Man. Bones, which we are going to learn are the bones of deceased purgles. That's such a cool little detail. It's it like, is. It's thoroughly grim, but in, in the context of something like an elephant graveyard, it's a... Uh, yeah. It's like beyond our culture to understand what would drive, say, you know, like a salmon to, to return to the spawning grounds for right. to die, right? To yeah. think about how long this has been going on for to create such a band of rings around oh, an entire planet. Millennia. Yeah. Millennia. Like that's yeah. not uh, 30 years of, of purgles. <laughs> no. On the bridge, Morgan takes satisfaction in having arrived at the Dathomiri home, uh, ancestral homeworld. Balin notes that the Jedi Archive had some records of Peridia, noting that it was the end of a migratory route used by the Purgle to move between the known Star Wars galaxy and this one. Morgan says that her people were among the first to harness and ride the whales, and she says, in the days before time was counted. So there you go, like hundreds of thousands mm -hmm. of years. But oh, suddenly it's kind of like common knowledge. Like Balin knows that this was a tale. And last episode, Hugh Yang knew that it was a tale. Well, apparently Balin knows <laughs> a whole lot more. Uh, yeah. Not part of tonight's show, but Andy, you found a thing tonight. Well, something popped up on my news feed and I was like, yeah. whoa, I missed that one. But that was from what? Episode uh, two, three? I think it was episode four when they're back at Setos. Uh, yeah, it was definitely at the Setos temple. Well, we should we should mention that right now. Um, you want to talk about? It? Sure. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure how they got it because like my TV did not. There's no way that, that I I didn't even notice. I wasn't looking. But, uh, if you look at Balin's wrist gauntlet, it does have some Orabesh on. Well, there's it. a readout on it, and it basically lists off Luke, Leia, Han, Chewie, all Arthur, the heroes of the Rebeal, rebellion, and Ben Solo. <laughs> <laughs> well that's the thing though contextually do we know that it's ben solo or, or do we is it ben is it kenobi? ben kenobi because i saw that i'm like depending on how you look at that you are looking at the heroes of the first movie yeah. that's crazy and then i'm like is that just such a is that such a minor detail that some guy in the in the costume department they snuck it in there thinking no one's gonna is gonna see that because it's so small yeah oh but it it tracks when you look at this image. Now, presuming this image opera, is actually real, is yeah. that the opposite of gibberish on the clone memorial wall? <laughs> like, are they just? Yeah, yeah you guys yeah. want to see real words? Well, we'll just list names then. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> Man, and the, what the context of the of the post was like? Looks like Balin has a hit list. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, he's, I don't think like, he's going to get to that. You know, if yeah. the character were to lose his mind in any fashion, then we're like, I feel yeah. so much that we could be heading like for a joris uh, uh sub off sub off kind of yeah character speaking to his padawan shin balin says the whales came to peridia to die and the world is a graveyard and i think that's actually important to the bigger context of what peridia really is i don't think it's just space uh it it may be an allusion to something else we'll get there mm-hmm a navigator droid reports that they are receiving a beacon signal and Morgan strides off the bridge as she announces, let us not keep them waiting. From her cell on the eye of Scion, Sabine looks around at the mechanical sound uh, of her door unlocking Shin along with three guards uh, come in to collect her and they forcefully drag her out. 
Then we're treated to a montage of the golden moth-like shuttle as it detaches from the Eye of Scion and descends to the surface of Viridia. As the ship dips below the clouds, we can see three enormous busts with their mouths agape as if they were uh, screaming. Uh, they're situated atop uh, tall, slender columns. Then the shuttle approaches a fortress carved into the side of a mountain. A tall black obelisk with a flat top dominates one side of the structure, and the shuttle settles in for a landing on top of it. The boarding ramp drops, and Morgan leads everyone out. Now, um, I've got a little thing I want to talk about here. Here we go. Um, these are the statues here, the, the long ones here, the tall ones, uh, versus the statues we saw on Arcana. And I'm like, that's episode one, right? Mm. I just took it as because the the ruins were a set of ruins that those statues were just in a state of decay. Mm. Maybe not. But I don't think so anymore. I don't think so anymore. And I say that because those statues on Arcana had no heads. And I think at the time we were meant to believe that that was the case that had just fallen to the this state of well time okay. time re re will uh, reclaim nature will like, reclaim yeah, everything like an age right? signifier for sure yeah but now looking at these uh <laughs> heads on peridia which are just heads without any discernible body i feel like they are intrinsically connected and i think that it connects to the line that morgan had said about he calls to me through time and space like somehow that these statues with the scream face on them are somehow maybe transmitters and the headless statues might be the receiving end. It's possible. Albeit it obviously uses some form of night sister magic to accomplish that. But is this like intergalactic communications, uh, night sister style? Well, it'd be no different than Grogu sitting on the seeing stone broadcasting out through That's that. That's true. That is absolutely true. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit uh, because I got some more stuff I want to talk about. Stuff that came up this week that I thought was cool that nobody, nobody is talking about. Well, just one more thing on the headless statues. Oh, sure. Uh, in Egypt, when a new ruler would come into power, right, they would often go around and desecrate. Knock the heads off? Yeah. Them? Oh, so you wow. Could, you'd be, there'd be no record of the previous oh, ruler. Oh, right, right, right. And there would yeah. just be the new guy. <clears throat> that was sort of, I, I had the impression that there had been a battle there for sure. On Arcana on arcana oh yeah. interesting that's an interesting thought too that that could very well happen too all right so um they exit the shuttle where they can see another henge and it's just like the one on cetos except this one is in what i would call a pristine condition hmm. at the center of the structure stand three red robed figures and as the group approaches the camera lowers on to three women clad in red robes they are clearly night sisters uh, the three of them stand at the center of the henge in a triangular formation each woman levitates a small sphere just above an outstretched palm and the three orbs themselves are connected by a thin thread of red energy as morgan and the group approach them the orbs disconnect from one another as each night sister takes their orb back into their cupped hands and the three of them face the newcomers. Do we think that red, this configuration was the beacon? What do you mean? The, the three night sisters standing there with this interconnected uh, the, energy field. Was that the beacon they were picking up? Uh, probably uh, some, some very, some very, yeah. The I, triads comes up a lot in this episode, it by does. the way, there's a ton of triad references. 
Um, oh, we got Sarah here on YouTube says, oh, the great mothers were so creepy. They were. They were super creepy. Did anybody else feel like we were like pushing very close to uh, the horror genre in this episode? A little bit. Yeah, I thought so. I well. do love mm-hmm. the troll moment that's coming up here in a minute. though. Troll. As in like under a bridge troll or uh, like as, as being trolled? Star Wars universe trolling us. <laughs> that never happens. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get to it right now. Our Night Sisters, uh, they are Actropaw. Clothal and Lachesis. Now, uh, we've talked, we talked about this way back in what, uh, episode one or two, Something like yeah. that. the connection to, uh, the Greek fates, the Moirai. And of yeah. course the, they are variations of the three fates names of Clotho, Atropos and Lachesis. Uh, and this, the spellings are there. You can see exactly what they are. Now, um, Actropa, I'm going to get to this here in a minute. Uh, dun, 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 dun. let me hear, uh, Atropos. Uh, she is the representation of death is the one that would cut the thread of fate. She is depicted as being the oldest one with the scissors, uh, Clotho, uh, sorry, um, Clotho, uh, represents birth and is the one who spins the threads and Lachesis, uh, uh, is represent- representative of life and is the one who measures the thread of fate. So yeah, we're going to hear that again, uh, before the end of the episode as well. So cool. And they did use this same theme in uh, Shazam too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bringing the did. fates in there yeah. as the same idea. Actropaw that's played by, uh, she's played by Gerald, uh, Gerald Prescott Galleon. She was Madame Xanadu on all 10 episodes of the uh, short lived swamp thing series. Hmm. Andy, you watched that one. I did. You? It was, yeah. I'm kind of disappointed. It didn't get a season two. Yeah. Uh, Clothow, uh, we've got some uh, sci-fi royalty here in the form of hmm. Claudia black. Uh, she played Officer Aaron Sin uh, over 88 episodes of Farscape between 1999 and 2003. Heck of a run. And uh, Lachesis, played by Jane Edwina Seymour. She was the Borg Queen for two episodes of the third season of Star Trek Picard. Nice. All right. Morgan uh, bows before the three witches, and it's Clothow at the center of the triad who speaks first. Her voice is modulated as if there are several other voices layered into hers, including a whisper. She says, uh, welcome, child of death, Amir. You do our ancestors credit. I'll never be able to, ma- to mimic that, but <laughs> there you go. Morgan thanks Clothow, uh, referring to her as a great mother. She asks if Morgan had heard their call in her dream, and Morgan says it was those visions that guided her here. Standing a few feet behind Morgan, Shin goes wide-eyed at Clothow's words as she whispers, More witches. Then it's Great Mother Actropaw who speaks next as she says, Long have we waited for you. Clothow finishes her sentence, and you came as Thrawn promised. At the mention of Thrawn's name, Morgan asks where he is. Then it's Great Mother Lachesis who chides, you shall wait. He is coming. That right there. Like, we're, we're so, like, okay, we're so close to Thrawn. And she's like, you will wait. You'll wait. Yeah. And Come she's, on. she's got a bit of a sting on it, it too, does, right? Yeah. right? <laughs> I've waited five episodes for this. <laughs> You're going to wait longer. Yeah. But was it worth it? Oh, 2024 actual days. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan beams with a smile. 
Well, this is an interesting uh, part of the episode here because uh, sniffing the air, Actropa glares at Sabine as she says, it reeks of Jedi. Doesn't even, you know, address her as a, as a living thing, just an it, 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 it reeks of Jedi. Sabine's eyes dart back and forth as if to say, uh, who, who, who are you talking about? What? Me? Me? Oh, oh. So there's so many connotations to that line right there. Meaning that yeah. these night sisters who are from a society outside our galaxy, I keep calling yeah. it our galaxy for lack of a better term. The star, you know what? So, and I've said this before Earth has been referenced in the main Star Wars universe many, many times. Uh, so I chocolate. think you, you all know, we all know what you mean when you say our galaxy. Lando teaches Luke how to make hot chocolate. Well, there you go. <laughs> Thank you, Timothy Zahn. But so, what, you know what I mean when I say our universe? I do. Our galaxy. Absolutely. For and sure. So she smells Jedi. And understands the connotations of Jedi. Yeah, and she says... Maybe she has the bigger picture. But realistically, I think that once upon a time, (laughs) a long time ago, Jedi and Night Sisters were ancient enemies in this galaxy. That's interesting. Uh, Suggesting that the Jedi themselves are uh, extra galactic. Right. So, like, but then we start getting into the Jedi or maybe even a more ancient form. Well, that's Man. a great point because she does make a point of saying Jedi, not Jedi. Right. So, I mean, are they, you know, did they, did the Night Sisters at some point travel between galaxies and these three? I would think so. These three just happened to be. Or even did the Jedi the have disability long ago? Because, I mean, oh, even Hu Wang yeah, says, like, yeah, the Purgles were able to jump to different galaxies and some people would call the Travelers would ride them, but right, Travelers right. doesn't include, like, just the Dathomiri witches. No, no, it does not. It could but be, Morgan you know, said any, that they yeah, did anybody, ride them. Like, ostensibly, I'm, Ezra is a traveler. I'm going to ask the question right now. Actually, I'm going to back up uh, here. One slide. Two slides. Three slides. Three? <laughs> no? This one will do. Mm. Keep this in mind. You don't have to answer this question, but this is, this is for everybody who's watching, too. And I'm going to ask it again later on. But just think about this. Why... Why in this entire episode do we only meet three night sisters? Why are there only three? Why do we only um, ever see three? The heads of state. I, that's kind of where I would go with it. Um, that's we, entirely possible. Yeah. We only, of course, they're, they're elders. Yeah. We only meet one or two uh, until we meet a whack of them in Clone Wars, and they're all dead. Be all dead. <laughs> all dead. And so we, I, I went through this. It's like. You know, these three and Morgan Elizabeth are the only night. Let's think about this for a second. Canonically speaking, hmm. these four women are the only living night sisters in existence because Ventress is dead. Mm-hmm. And we can't confirm the whereabouts of Marin from, Marin, from right. the Jedi games at this point. Right. Rule of three. That's an interesting thought. But I mean, Morgan is allowed to live. True. So, I mean, rule, rule of four. I don't want to come off the rails mid-show, but there's also a possibility that th- these they fled Dathomir and went back here. I mean, you know, like this is what I was getting back. at. Yeah, that these women actually were in our galaxy and came back here for something. But mm-hmm. does that not make galaxy travel by Purgle more common than we need it to be for the terms in terms of being able to find Ezra possibly. Sooner? Possibly. Yeah, uh, Doug. What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> we're getting uh, there doug hang on hang on rimshaw <laughs> uh, all right um right so uh clothow says 
it is dangerous that it again then she and the other great mothers release their orbs and the three of the orbs uh, float towards sabine the orbs uh, position themselves in a triad around sabine before connecting themselves again with that uh, red thread-like energy beam and then the beam cinches tightly around sabine's torso uh, pinning her arms uh, to her side sabine uh, shoots the witches an annoyed glare then clothow says it will wait in solitude and the orbs drag sabine across the hench uh, and down into a recessed staircase sabine shouts at balin hey we had a deal where is ezra where is he balin just looks away pensively as uh, sabine is dragged off a thought, now, a thought yeah. just occurs to me now go for it why didn't they smell any jedi on balin well or he gives a look <laughs> he, i swear he gives a look like oh <laughs> like don't uh, just if i just stand here and don't just look at the floor like, nobody will notice force is way stronger with him but honestly yeah. i think the next couple lines are, are telling about that because i think that he was probably on the radar of the of the threads of fate because literally you know a uh, wild card <laughs> yeah i yeah. cut the brake lines i'm a wild card <laughs> so hey, like when we were uh sorry you want you want to say something no it's just that they didn't they didn't sense her coming like her decision to hand over you know d like didn't happen in the force or something like that like it's a a completely unexpected decision like even right, to us right. i'm screaming at the screen what are yeah. you doing um <laughs> and now they don't it's she's not even on the radar it's like that's why she's dangerous this is a this is an that's unknown true. to people who know everything earlier in the week hank uh i guess when uh, tuesday night wednesday morning no it was tuesday night because the episode had just wrapped up Mm. And you would message me and you, uh, when about the, the rings of, of Peridia being purgle bones. Yeah. 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 And the, you said one word to me and that yeah. was <laughs> scrimshaw. scrimshaw. Anyone? Scrimshaw. <laughs> right now, scrimshaw being an indigenous art form that was, and is still practiced today, mostly by indigenous whalers. Hmm. Whalers. Mm -hmm. Now the, the art of carving into whalebone. It is, yeah, carving into whale bone. Hmm. Um, I did certainly enough of it there. I did a, a little bit of poking around, and I found an interesting, uh, an interesting thing here. And I think you'll see where I'm going with this when you see this 18th century scrimshaw globe of our Earth. Hmm. Um, I would like to propose uh, that the witches' orbs are in fact Purgle scrimshaw. I so cool. would believe that. I believe that they are an integral part of the witch's abilities uh, uh, to communicate from one galaxy to the other. And the, the here's where the interesting thing comes in, where the purgle bone becomes more important, that the whale's natural hyperspace ability somehow plays a role in their ability to communicate across galaxies. Mm. Yeah. That these obviously are used as some kind of focus in their magic. And I mean, anybody who's ever, you know, familiar with... Um, yeah you know, fantasy role-playing, uh, what a wizard's focus is. I feel like this is kind of yeah, what we're looking at here. And they use it for everything because they like, it's, yeah. it's basically manual labor to round up a prisoner and shuffle them off before they return. Like they'll, yeah. you know, they could tap you on the butt and say good game with one or something. But I mean, the color, the colors kind of were that same as the uh, star map. Right. So then I go back, that, you bring that up and that's a great point to bring up looking at the star map without access to, purgle bones 
did they have to come up with a mechanical way to replicate these scrimshaw orbs and that's what the star map really is Could is be. a mechanical version of one of these i think that's there's an a, interesting there's idea. a great rune in that now that kind of looks like the one it looks upright it looks like a like a night sister or like the winged you know, eagle or whatever like yeah. and the other one yeah. is kind of sideways yeah um, i've been staring at those runes trying to find some common like there's some anyway we'll get there <laughs> we're gonna be a lot of a little more rune talk coming up a little oh, later yeah, on time. runes all right so yeah scrimshaw i totally think i don't know if that's a thing but in my <laughs> head canon <laughs> sure is now that's awesome somewhere in the fortress a door slides open oh sorry you know what i totally missed a freaking slide how did i do uh, that i don't know well there's what i was getting at i mean the, between the 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 whole communication thing also uh, puts it into uh, if you had any doubts before mm -hmm. inside the temple on arcana now you know what you're looking at yeah mm -hmm. three great mothers with their with orbs. their orbs yeah their hoods are even distinct you could tell which one is which did you notice that going back and re-watching the episode that they the shots were framed so you couldn't see the tops of their of their hats yeah 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 that's awesome there's another uh i mean i guess i guess you would uh build uh statues and things to your ancestors but there's also another strong yeah, indication yeah, yeah. that they may have originated in our galaxy as well yeah we got dark holder joining us tonight on youtube he says my theory is that the bone holds more power than the mechanical one the map is not as powerful yeah, I, I would agree with that yeah i would totally agree with absolutely. that. absolutely all right let me get back on track here somewhere somewhere inside the fortress a door slides open to a small cell and the three orbs drag sabine inside before disengaging their thread beams and float back out to the great mothers a clap of thunder booms and Sabine turns up to look at the open window, which is far too narrow to squeeze out of. A long shot of the fortress shows a weather system moving in over the region. The fortress itself, uh, evocative of uh, Minas Tirith from Lord of the Rings, mm -hmm. albeit much uh, darker. Yeah. <laughs> in the foreground, several hundred meters away from the fortress, a trio of what the descriptive audio refers to as uh, wolf-like creatures howl up at it. And I'm not going to lie here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my, I, I actually I spoke it out loud. Me Kim too. was sitting beside me when I said, she's like, what? I'm like Loth Wolves. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> I was freaking out. Yeah. Um, And again, symbolically, I know they're not Loth Wolves, but symbolically, it just reminds us of part of partly about what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. absolutely loved it all right cutting to the top of the obelisk the golden shuttle departs for the eye of scion uh, leaving balin and shin alone at the henge balin takes in the intricacy of the carvings on the henge before stepping to the edge and looking out over the landscape shin senses that something uh senses something in him and she asks what is it master balin shakes his head as he calls the place a land of dreams and madness children's stories come to life shin says she doesn't know those stories but as balin puts it it's because she wasn't raised at the temple he says the stories of this galaxy are considered folk tales and some ancient past long forgotten shin says that's for good reason and that sometimes stories are just stories you know and that's kind of funny too like there's almost a troll moment in there mm -hmm. we as we analyze this stuff so 
you know, infinitely to the minutia. Sometimes it is just what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but most times it's not. There are no accidents. That's right. Everything's There's a lot of truth and legends. That's right. <laughs> Balin smiles and he chuckles uh, as he nods at her. But the smile quickly fades as he begins to tell her a tale that when the Jedi temple burned, he couldn't make sense of it at the time. But as he got older and looked at history, he realized that everything is inevitable. He calls the fall of the Jedi and the rise of the Empire a cycle that repeats itself again and again and again. Shin questions him, suggesting that their alliance with Thrawn would bring them into power. But Balin shakes his head no, as he tells her that kind of power is fleeting. And what he seeks is the beginning so that he can bring an end to the cycle. Shin questions if the beginning is here on Peridia. Balin smiles and pats, uh, pats his Padawan on the shoulder as he tells her if the old stories are true, and then walks away, leaving Shin staring out over the valley below. Inside her cell, Sabine sits on the floor, cross-legged with her head down. She whispers, Ahsoka then lifts her head and asks, what am I doing? Still in binders, uh, she gets up and she paces around the small stone cell, looking at the walls and the ceiling. Collecting her thoughts, she holds out her hands toward the door and she closes her eyes as she tries to reach out with the force. And we get an audio cue here that is very similar to the same cue that we hear before someone uh, and when someone uses the force, mm -hmm. but then dust begins to shake free from the walls and Sabine, uh, her eyes snap open and she drops her hands. But that audio cue, not only does it continue, uh, it gets louder telling us that it's something else while something large passes outside of her window, large enough to darken the room. Turning to look out the window, Sabine goes wide-eyed in shock. Now, do we think yep. she might have been doing it? She was absolutely trying. But, like, mm -hmm. do you think there was, a, like, a hint of success that was kind of overshadowed by... Was there a the moment there where, about to come? where the dust pull was actually her? I really, and it I, wasn't. Yeah, I really do feel like that the first few seconds were that forced theme or that forced sound effect, which then you know, I was, I was, was at, the uh, the ship coming in. I really listened for that this week. I really tried to pay attention to what the audio was telling us. And it does tell us a few things. Yeah. I in think my head, using... I was just like, I made up this thing like rap, you know, things rapid fire through mine. I was like, wait, what if she's oh, the yeah. only one that can use the force here? <laughs> Maybe everybody else that was good at the force is bad at the force. And she's good at the force because she was previously bad. At the sure. Force. Sure. I don't know. Andrew Coatsworth joining us tonight on uh, YouTube says those Ooh. aren't whales. Sadly, they are a depiction of a woman's spell over a man. Hence why we see bones of the dead whale bones for the wages of sin is death. That's really deep, man. <laughs> that's real deep. Yeah, I think that's cool, though. All right. At the same time, uh, Morgan and the great mothers uh, emerge from the staircase onto the obelisk while Balin and Shin, who were already there, they all turn to look at the source of the noise. What a, oh, what a moment here. The form of an Imperial class Star Destroyer rises up and over the fortress. The ship has clearly seen better days as much of its armor plating is missing. Having the been replaced, the hammerhead rammed it. Having been placed oh. by some form of gold plating while some sections of the craft 
are missing entirely. Exactly, Hank, where it got rained. Oh. That is a big dent, by the way. That's not going to buff out. <laughs> um, as a ship nerd, you know that I, I love this. I, I love this. Although I found it a little weird that it kind of just snuck in underneath, <laughs> under the radar per se, and then, oh, there we are. What a reveal. <laughs> as opposed to, well, normally we see Star Destroyers, and we, especially in the Disney era, we've seen them descend in onto a planet. We've never seen one really rise. True. Besides the one leaving uh, Jeddah City. Or the ones leaving uh, Exegol. <laughs> Doug, uh, where did he come from? <laughs> <laughs> Me too, Doug. Me too. Unless that was the storm, kind of like an Independence Day way. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, they're yeah, like yeah, preceded yeah, yeah. by like a storm cloud and then whoop. it emerges from that. Yeah, yeah, you know, but the impact is the same. Yeah, it is. The, the emotional impact is the same. Uh, Dark Holder, absolutely the best entrance of a character in years. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty great. I am firmly of the, and I know what you mean, but I am also firmly in the camp that ships are characters too. And, and certainly the Chimera, you know, a named ship is definitely a character. All right. As the ship, uh, as the ship maneuvers its docking bay over the obelisk, the familiar paint scheme of Grand Admiral Thrawn's personal ship tells us this is the Chimera. At the rear of the ship, only the quartet of the smaller engines fire, while the two large ones remain cold, and the Chimera lowers itself onto the obelisk until both it and the hangar deck are level with one another. The Great Mothers, along with Morgan and the two false Jedi, walk to the edge of the obelisk, while an alien voice shouts what sounds like a series of military drill commands. Now, the subtitles are going to tell us a little more about this, but I'm going to hold on to that for a minute. <laughs> on the hangar deck below, two racks of TIE fighters and a parade of stormtroopers numbering into the hundreds has been assembled, and the alien voice, now speaking in basic calls the formation to attention panning over the formation. These stormtroopers, while retaining the same basic white armor of every other trooper we've ever met, bear a distinctive grit and grime about them. Various armor pieces look to have been damaged and have either been repaired or replaced. The repairs are in the Japanese Kintsugi style with golden material serving as the fusion between the broken pieces and i assume that the gold is similar if not even the same replacement material that the golden armor plating on the chimera is mm -hmm. maybe probably plentiful here and all of the troopers armor is laced together with strands of red fabric that is similar in color to the great mother's uh, robes Felipe S. Royas, hand pink waving. Emoji? <laughs> Hello! <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so uh, our subtitles refer to these uh, troopers as night troopers. Mm -hmm. And if they are what we think they might be, that doesn't necessarily bode well for the galaxy far, far away if they take them home with them. Mm-hmm. I do mean undead yes, or raised <laughs> or raised dead, by the way, raised dead clone troopers, undead stormtroopers, uh, not new in star Wars media, uh, mm -hmm. canonic canonically speaking. So not legends canonically speaking first appeared in the 2014 mobile game, star Wars commander, where they were said to be infected by a viral agent known simply as the sickness. These would still be clones though. Would they not? No stormtroopers. 
these are like full-on stormtroopers fair enough yep yeah we're in that uh that yeah, period where we've transitioned to, yeah. yeah yeah we're just a couple we're of years before 60. oh yeah yeah before we've uh, uh after we've transitioned to the new stuff might be a couple left over but most of them phased out oh by now yeah, yeah. well one of the troopers however stands out from the rest not only because his armor is far more ornate than the rest but also because he is in command of the entire formation now we're going to come back to him so just hang on hang on we're getting there i want to take a second and talk about the uh, kintsugi style it's the japanese art of repairing uh, broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with lacquer uh, dusted or mixed with powdered gold silver or platinum the art form is typically practiced on pottery, pottery, and I could not find a single real-world example of uh, Kintsugi being used in armor. However, and I, I included this because I thought it was thematically was an interesting connection. There's a there's a, a an MMO, a, a role-playing game. It's called Path of Exile, <laughs> <laughs> where uh, Kintsugi armor is yeah, it's a thing. And uh, given the theme of exile, I wonder if somebody working on the show was a fan of this game. Maybe. Nice. So, I mean, there is one example, but it's not with gold. Oh, in uh, Kylo Ren's in helmet. His reconstructed helmet. Only yeah. when you say that now does it occur mm -hmm. to me that, yes, we have seen this before. Yeah, Just totally. Once. That's interesting. I did see some comments this week because we pay attention to uh, what's going on in the fandom. I saw some comments this week about how a military commander would never let their troops modify their armor like that. Uh, as it would promote individuality. However, in the bigger context here, I propose that because they are marooned and have to fend for themselves, well, that armor repair is the reality. Mm -hmm. And and the thing is, let's let's not forget whose troops these are. These are Thrawn's troops, and we're talking about an ancient art style. Um, Thrawn is an art scholar. He's it's an art part, collector. He, yes, he knows his stuff. He studies yeah. art. It's part of what makes him this revered commander. It's how he gains insight into his enemies by studying their art. So it makes it—it's absolutely makes sense to me. That of course, Thrawn knows what this what this art style is, and of course, he's—he's he's probably the one that orchestrated it. Yeah. Again, albeit with Night Sister magic and whatever is available <laughs> to them, right? Right, exactly. So this doesn't, this isn't a stretch for me at all. No. Mm. All right. The troopers ardently chant Thrawn, Thrawn, Thrawn times a hundred. Yeah. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then he appears walking between them. Oh, but they make you wait. Like, oh, you see I know. The footsteps you see I from know. the side, you see from the back. And then finally. So good. Oh. As he reaches the ornately uh, clad trooper, he and an honor guard fall in around the blue skin chiss. And together they march out to meet the night mothers or the great mothers and their newly arrived guests. Stepping off the hangar deck onto the fortress, Thrawn remarks, what was first a dream has become a frightening reality for those who may oppose us. What an opening line, <laughs> like right to business. Yeah, we're You're here. Shit's up. about to get real. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. What do we got here? We got dark holder coming in here. It says, the Marines in Iwo Jima were wearing rags by the time they won the battle, mostly because they were cut off for a month and now add years and they would do what they have to do to stay battle ready. Yeah. Absolutely. They would totally agree with that. All right. Looking at the great mothers, he adds, I salute you. And interestingly enough, they bow at him. They bow to him. 
Yeah, yeah that's pretty, an interesting thought. Yeah, yeah. Thrawn says that because of Morgan's efforts, they will soon escape their exile. They will soon escape, escape. there. Yeah. They there. So all of them could be trapped potentially yeah. on this world. Morgan grins as she uh, bows and proclaims herself forever your grand, your servant, Grand Admiral. Gesturing, uh, gesturing to the ornate trooper, Thrawn introduces him as Enoch, the captain of the guard, and uh, he will begin the cargo transfer in accordance with his agreement with the Great Mothers. Enoch nods, and the honor guard moves out to commence their work. Morgan tells the Grand, uh, the Grand Admiral that she has seen the catacombs, catacombs, and it will take some time to complete the transfer. She says at least three rotations but thrawn says that is an acceptable time frame then a uh, great mother clothow tells him that morgan has brought a prisoner pausing for a moment thrawn replies we did not speak of this and lachesis answers we did not see it it mm -hmm. is a loose thread mm -hmm. what do you got to be that to the, be the, so far off the radar of the, the fates? fates can't see you Ooh. Wild card. <laughs> Absolutely. A Jedi that can't use the force. True. I mean, wow, though. Felipe says, if you search Ben 10, Enoch looks pretty similar. Yeah, I guess in some ways he really does, doesn't he? Mind you, Ben 10's had quite a few different looks. Mm -hmm. Ben 10 is awesome. Thrawn asks for details about the loose thread, and Balin speaks up that it was he who was the one to bring the prisoner because he felt that she could be useful to them. Not familiar with whom he is speaking to, Morgan introduces Thrawn to her false Jedi mercenaries. Hearing Balin's name, Thrawn presumes that he is the former Republic General, Balin Skull of the Jedi Order. This revelation causes Clothout to perk up and take notice, but she does not say anything. So there, we were asking before, like, why didn't, why they... didn't they smell the stink of Jedi on him? And it seems like now, only now that they've been, he's been introduced as a former Jedi General. What? Mm -hmm. so not only did we not see the 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 loose thread uh in the fate we didn't see balin as a jedi either Whew. maybe he just wouldn't register as a threat though yeah well maybe maybe but i mean if they're if if jedi and i mean she says it with such a sting yeah i don't think like, it matters disgust. any any jedi maybe balin politely informs thrawn that he parted ways with the jedi a long time ago and Thrawn tells him that he would not be the first to do so. <laughs> There's a whole, uh, uh -huh. whole conversation uh, to be had about that. Um, it's unclear if the remark is a jab at Balin, like, oh, by the way, we won the war. Mm -hmm. Or if it's a reference to other individual Jedi leaving the order. And I, I use the example of the Lost, uh, the lost 20, of mm -hmm. which uh, Count Duca was one of them. Mm-hmm. The Lost oh. 20 being 20 Jedi Masters who at various points in the Order's history left over ideological differences. So, I mean, this is not a new thing for the Jedi Order that people just don't agree with them. Yeah. Or is he talking about a very specific one with he having knowledge of it? Oh, I don't know. I don't being know. Being Anakin. I mean, they did. Yeah. Uh, that's entirely that possible. Could be, yeah, that yeah. could be a, uh, yeah, a shot there, too. But what he might not know is that Balin knows as well. Balin knows a lot more, apparently. Balin knows a ton. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, again, either way you look at it, it all works. Yeah. 
Morgan tells Thrawn that it's Sabine Wren and he shakes his head as a thin smile creeps up on his face. And he remarks, now that's a familiar name. Nodding to Balin, he adds, you're quite right. She'll be of great use to us. All right, let's get uh, back to Enoch here for a second. Now that's Wes Chatham. You might recognize him as Amos Burton from the expanse, or maybe uh, as caster from the hunger uh, the hunger games, mocking Jay parts one and two, by the way, great series the expanse love the amos burton character he got he needed way more screen time (laughs) but he's great with the chimera still hovering over the obelisk sabine is dragged by two stormtroopers to the center of the henge where she comes face to face with thrawn for the first time in a decade and thrawn is unexpectedly jovial about this and he says what a delight it is after so long to see a familiar face it's his favorite artist. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Eh? <laughs> Continuing, he says, I understand it is you I have to thank for my escape from exile. But Sabine isn't interested in any pleasantries, and she gets right to the point. Where is Ezra? Thrawn remarks that her singular focus to be reunited with her friend will reshape our galaxy. <sighs> Not this galaxy. Mm-hmm. Their galaxy. The original Star Wars galaxy, yeah. So if there was any, uh, if there was any uh, doubt about what they want to do, they for sure, they're going back. They're going back to do some stuff. Not interested in Thrawn's usual intellectualism. Sabine barks at him. Just answer the question. And Thrawn tells her that he is aware of the arrangement that she has with Balin and he intends to honor it. With a nod, Enoch moves to Sabine and removes her binders. Thrawn tells her she will be provided with a mount and provisions, as well as the latest intelligence regarding Ezra's whereabouts. Skeptically, Sabine asks, so that's it? You're just going to let me walk out of here? Thrawn tells her that she helped his cause, and now he, now he will help hers. He punctuates the moment with one very specific condition, though, that when he and the Chimera leave Peridia, which should be in three days, according to Morgan's estimate about the cargo transfer, Sabine will be stranded on Peridia forever. He concludes the, uh, by telling her there is a real possibility that Ezra Bridger is dead. Well, defiantly, Sabine says, well, if you've survived, I'm sure he's doing just fine. Stepping nose to nose with Sabine, Thrawn whispers menacingly at her, you have gambled the fate of your galaxy on that belief. Glaring back at him, Sabine shakes her head as she tells him, you wouldn't understand. His answer is simple enough. Perhaps not. Then not wanting to waste any more time, Sabine asks, what kind of ride do they have for her? What kind of ride you got around here? <laughs> it ain't a snow speeder. Somewhere deep in the bowels of the fortress, uh, Sabine, now dressed in her Mandalorian armor, is escorted by Enoch uh, to a waiting beast. The creature itself is uh, called a howler in the subtitles, and it growls at her as they approach. Well, then Enoch speaks a command word, Dota, and the horse-sized quadruped lays down on the floor. The creature has very strong canine features, but also bears a long reptilian snout, like an alligator or a crocodile, complete with uh, sharp teeth. I want to say almost rat-like features. It does. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah Hank, you, you said rat. that. Yeah. I said that as well. In the ears, the long face the, and the yeah. ears do kind of go, go rat-like. Yeah, the rat-like or what do we call it? It's a rat gator, rat gator dog. dog. <laughs> it's a <laughs> horse-sized rat gator dog. <laughs> Hence howler. 
Yeah, exactly. Capital H, eh? Yeah, capital H. Yep. Mm-hmm. Thinking creature. Intelligent, yeah. Taking the reins, Sabine climbs into the saddle and the howler stands up again. Then Enoch steps over and returns her twin Westar 35 pistols as well as her lightsaber. But he also offers her a warning. He says that nomads wander the wastelands and prey on one another for survival. Stepping back from the howler, he tells her, die well. So good. <laughs> die so well. Good. So samurai movie, man. Like Then the large uh, stone doors part open and Sabine on the howler charges out into the barren wasteland. All right, um, let's get let's go back to this for a second here. Let's talk about uh, Enoch. In the quiet of the stable, we heard just how modulated uh, Enoch's voice actually is. Now, the modulation, and I I say this, the modulation on that is very similar to that of Merrick, hmm. which in turn is similar to the Great Mother's, albeit without the whispers. So I take that to be a strong indicator about the nature of Enoch. Now, I said that the night troopers, I believe, are probably at the least, much like Merrick, raised dead, if not undead. There are some theories floating around. (laughs) Let's talk about Enoch. So who is Enoch in uh, biblical terms? And I don't want to get too far into the weeds on this because it's not it's not my thing. Mm. Uh, but Enoch is the seventh in line after Adam, and he is the grandfather of Noah. Now, some interpretations say that Enoch is one of just a very small number of human beings that was allowed to enter heaven alive, mm. and God took him. What's interesting here is it relates to our show, and where I'm going with this is that I said this earlier this week too in Judaism. Uh, in Judaism, it's not expressed whether Enoch was alive or dead when he went to heaven. So it, there's this ambiguity that is he alive? Is he not? Now, Hank, you brought up another thing about this character, hmm. the thing about, uh, Metatron. Oh, so, well, uh, in the Apocrypha there, he, there's three books attributed to this guy in, in the Apocrypha, which are, yeah. uh, books of the Bible that never made it in after the council of Nicaea. Um, and in that he's, it's not ex- expressed, but nothing in the Bible really is expressed, but he's, no. he's likened to or akin to the voice of God. So God raises him up to be like the top angel, which is the, unheard of for a the, human. The boss of the archangels. Right. So his, like God's right hand man. And, and in one of the Apocrypha, he's the guy that gives Moses the 10 commandments. Right. Um. So. If he's we got that voice. That. Yeah, I mean, and you were saying, well, I, I hardly want to liken Thrawn to God, but from <laughs> Thrawn's perspective, that's exactly I mean, how he views himself. If we take yeah. the word religion out of it and we swap it with cult, does that make it yeah. sit a little bit better? Or even less offensive to those people that believe that? Mysticism. Sure. Because it's 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 it has the same weight as the Norse mythology, as the yeah, Greek yeah, mythology, sure. as the that's... Roman mythology. And, and a lot of it even crosses over. What I find interesting, this is that Enoch as the chief of the archangels, as it relates to what we're watching as the head stormtrooper, I'm going to go the complete other way. And I'm going to ask, I'm asking, I'm not saying I'm asking, is Enoch the only living trooper on the ship? So and that might be the, the part of the, the, the connotation, the name that would yeah. point to it. Like the, yeah. 
the one human that goes to heaven and becomes an angel, even though he's not. Right. Right. And and people have been saying, where are the officers? Well, maybe that's why his helmet has a face. I've been saying that. I've been saying that. He's, where he's are a, all the... He's a captain, right? He captain of the guard. Stormtrooper captain, yeah. Right. But I mean, maybe that's why he has a face. Maybe even, the, the, you know, he's got to wear... I don't know. Well, there's a line coming up here yeah. that kind of suggests some stuff has gone down while they are here. Okay. Right? Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. I just... I, I like this character. I, I like Wes Chatham. I love that armor. I'm going to need this action figure for sure. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> I just don't know. I, I'm, I'm split right down the middle alive or dead. Mm. I don't know if it matters to be honest. I mean, there's so many ways that that could go even amongst the regular sort of night troopers there. Yeah. Like, are they green mist? Are they animated bodies? Are they night sisters in armor? Are they troopers that have been animated? Well, are they, are they, are they? But that's that thing again. Like, why are there no, like, why are there only three night sisters? Why are there not other night sisters? Why yeah. are there no, now maybe there, it's just Andy. There's no TIE there. fighter pilots. There's no scout troopers. There, yeah. There's there are no, no other troop no techs. There's, you know, none of that stuff. This is a ship that's crewed by literally tens of thousands of people. Yeah. And all we see is Thrawn and stormtroopers. Nothing right. else. Right. That's all you need. Who's on the bridge? Yeah. Yeah. Who's flying this thing? The way they chant, though, is just blind faith, right? Oh, oh my gosh, yeah. Oh. And I mean, there is that that culty kind of yeah. Like, well, you can't have just you know, you almost don't get that sense of uh, because he comes he comes fully cooked in *Heir to the Empire* novel. He's already yeah. the leader of the Remnant Empire, and they That's already right, yeah. are very established in a part of the galaxy, and they're already ready to go. And you get more of like. Of course, a guy like this would have this cult of personality. Yeah. If he's outlasted the emperor of the galaxy, um, he's probably, you know, and Darth Vader, uh, he doesn't know that yet, but that, I, mean, I was going to say, that's an interesting thought too. It's like, oh, by the way, things have, things have changed since you've been away. Yeah. Right. I'm sure that conversation is going to happen off screen too, but yeah. Um, well, half the conversations know. already happened in the Mandalorian, right? Like that's with true. The, the, the with the shadow faction. council. Yeah. And they're yeah. like, well, when yeah. Thrawn well, so get here, what are the whispers that they're hearing? I don't know. You know, like, I don't know. Is, does Morgan have spies that are dripping and dropping those out? Remember that one of the, one of the modulations over the great mother's voices is a whisper. Mm -hmm. You know, is there, a, is there a connotation to be made there? I don't know. So, <laughs> or is F it you Dave Filoni. Yeah. <laughs> F you for being so good. <laughs> you crafty son of a when bitch. When the message went out for uh, Palpatine and Rise of Skywalker, right? Somehow Palpatine has returned. Yeah, but maybe mm -hmm. the Night Sisters are on their night. Okay, I'm going to say that now. I hope, I hope that it's not Palpatine that... Is it orchestrating all this stuff? Scale, yeah. Like, you know, I've got lost and the other guy oh. purples followed my spirit. I yeah, hope it's yeah, not yeah. that. Please don't let it be that. I don't think it's going to be that. <laughs> I'm just Have we thinking... seen enough breadcrumbs through the other projects that this given, doesn't need to affect that. Given Palpatine's relationship to Mother Talzin, um, if there's a face-to-face -face confrontation, it doesn't bode well for either group, right? Like, it's just not oh, yeah. good for anybody. I just like the fact that there's another force using tradition that appears to be the enemy. And I do um, like that as well. I, I do that like that. They, they hit you over the head with it. This is a cycle that repeats Sith, Jedi, Sith, Jedi, back and forth. Yeah. This yeah. empire, that empire, this republic, that republic. But it's so refreshing to see uh, 
on the cusp of a new real threat. Oh yeah, a galactic level. good guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, it's funny. I remember back to my art class in high school, and one of the things that uh, we learned there was the pendulum effect. Right? Oh yeah. How in real world it will swing one way and then swing back the other. Back, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like what is illegal now will be legal in. 20, 30 years. It's, it's every election. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Right now they cancel comedians and 10 years we'll be biting the bats off, heads the off, heads off bats on again on stage. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Somebody thaw out Ozzy. We need him. <laughs> All right. Well, from high up on the walls of the fortress, Thrawn, Morgan, Balin, and Shin watch as Sabine races out into the wasteland. Turning to Balin, Thrawn tells him that he and his apprentice can follow her at their own pace. Balin responding like a dutiful soldier. Yes, Grand Admiral. And then Shin looks to her master and she questions him. I thought you were to honor your agreement. But it's not Balin. It's Thrawn that answers her. And he says that he will. Sabine Wren will be allowed to find Ezra Bridger, as was promised. And if she does find him, then Shin and her master will be there to destroy them both. Dun, dun, dun. Oh. <laughs> someone's gonna flip in this and i don't know yeah. if it's him her both of them everybody uh, do we need mm -hmm. to talk about what's behind him there i've got that it's or it's all up. it's all organically coming it's up. all coming up yep yeah because he's about sure. to uh, deliver a line here shortly that yeah. just emphasizes how cold he is oh yeah out in the wasteland sabine trots down a roughshod pathway as she approaches a loose rock formation a uh, reptavian flies away startled the howler perks up and lifts its nose to the air, sniffing at something unseen. And Sabine draws uh, draws in on the reins, beckoning it to steady. Suddenly aware that something is amiss, she looks over both shoulders. Not seeing anything, she pulls out a scanner from a saddlebag. Drawing out its long antenna, she begins to pan the device around her. And as she does, a beeping indicator tone gets faster as she points it in the one direction until the tone is nearly constant. Then suddenly the device is knocked from her hands as a gunshot rings out from a well-concealed firing position. The howler rears up, throwing Sabine from the saddle and then bolts, leaving her to her own devices. I was no expecting an extra galactic wampa. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> like the in the role-playing game, the trauma. Yeah, the brown, the brown one. Blue or the brown one, yeah. <laughs> no sooner does she get to her knees does a second shot ring out this time striking her dead in the breastplate knocking her back Roll you, Beskar. rolling with the impact sabine comes up returning fire at a masked opponent who quickly ducks behind a large rock then another shot this time in the back and finally a third assailant from off to her right acutely aware that she is the subject of a very well-placed ambush Sabine returns fire and runs to get out of the kill zone. Shooting one of her attackers square in the chest, he falls dead between two rocks that he was using for cover, and Sabine moves to his position and tucks in. Now, one of the bandits armed with a rifle shouts something in an alien language and is joined by another rifleman. They begin laying down a base of fire as they advance, uh, advance on Sabine. But Sabine, uh, being anything but conventional, meets them head on as she rolls out from her cover and she shoots back. Unfortunately, with her attention on the two riflemen, she misses yet another attacker with a polearm who slams it against her wrist, knocking the pistol from her hand. The two of them struggle until Sabine knees him in the groin 
and proceeds to use his body as cover as she shoots one of the riflemen with her second pistol. Twisting in place, she tosses her body shield headlong into the rock that she was using for cover, knocking him down before deftly ducking another attacker that rushes in trying to take her head off with a bladed weapon. Using her wrist gauntlet, she tethers one of the bandits with a cord around his neck, sending an electrical charge down the cord while at the same time shooting the blade-wielding bandit in the back. Uh, there is a lot going on here in a it very short amount of time. Yeah. Super you notice that their blaster fire is yellow? It's the first time we've ever seen yellow bolts. I'm going with slug throwers. Yeah, mm. man. I believe that these are slug throwers. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to that. I'm going to come back to that, I promise. All right. <laughs> there was no way that I was ever going to do this scene justice. I could have made this scene alone uh, in just in screen caps, I would 50 plus. There was so much going on. I could have made every every one of them their own slide, but yeah. I've, I've pulled some of the highlights here. So like that top corner one there where she's uh, electrifying yeah. one guy, but she's <laughs> not even she's... looking at him. She's firing at the next guy. Exactly. She's Clint Eastwood. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> With her other gauntlet, she blocks a second shot from the rifleman that led the ambush while she yanks the corded bandit to the ground. Now two of the attackers with pole arms try to swarm her as the remaining rifleman moves to a better position. Well, Sabine shoots one of them, but the other lands a blow to the back of her head uh, with the flat of the blade, knocking her forward and fully exposing her to the rifleman. He lets off another shot, hitting her in a, a second time in the breastplate. By the way, that's the this is the same guy. Yeah, this is the same guy that shot her in the chest, shot the gun, uh, shot the scanner out of her hand, shot her pistol out of her hand. Like this guy is pretty good mm -hmm. marksman type. Very much so. Uh, it, it, there's some language here, and I'm not clear if he is the one that they are denoting as bandit leader, but given his skill with a gun, maybe, maybe. All right, where was I? Oh, yeah, with her other gauntlet, she blocks a second shot from the rifleman that led the ambush while she yanks the corded bandit to the ground. Now, two of the attackers with pole arms try to swarm her as the remaining rifleman moves to a better position. Sabine shoots one of them, but the other lands a blow to the back of her head with the flat of his blade, knocking her forward, fully exposing her to the rifleman. He lets off another shot, hitting her a second time in the breastplate. As the downed polearm bandit recovers uh, from hitting the rock, the other one tries to overwhelm her, but she rends the weapon from his hands and uses it to knock him down. Sabine takes aim at the rifleman, but he's quicker than she is, and with a well-aimed shot, shoots the remaining pistol out of her hand. That's three times now. Yep. Ping, mm -hmm. ping, ping. And now her back is exposed uh, to the other polearm bandit, who swats Sabine to the ground. Down, but not out, Sabine takes the lightsaber from her belt and ignites the green blade, getting back to her feet. One by one, the bandits rush in, and one by one, Sabine blocks, deflects, and cuts her way through them until they are completely demoralized and they turn tail and run. And only then, when with this top-down scene, do we see the bodies and realize that there were eight attackers in the ambush that got cut down. Yeah. Well, four. Four bodies and four guys ran away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now there is a lot of cool things that happened in this fight, but let me be clear on one thing. If you take away just one moment from this fight, this is the singularly most important moment of the fight and of the show, perhaps in case you were wondering 
Towards the end of the fight, when the horned bandit who set the ambush off takes aim and shoots at Sabine with his slug thrower rifle, Sabine looks at him and deflects the bullet back into his face. Mm -hmm. Sabine is a force user. Yeah, big time. Which I love because never in a million, I, I was laughing. Like I was mm -hmm. a child when Ahsoka said, start small, mm -hmm. put a bullet, ping. Try that with a blast shield. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me add another layer. Yeah. She, let me add yeah. another layer. Mm -hmm. Ahsoka said, start small, right? So the bullet thing, that's small. Yeah. Something else that she said. Now her and Hu Yang had that conversation in the cockpit. They were, she was kind of mad. She says, I don't need her to be a Jedi. I just need her to be herself. And in that moment, this Mandalorian warrior whirling like a murdering dervish doing exactly <laughs> what she's supposed to do. And look what happens. Mm -hmm. Force user. Found a groove. Uh, love it. Didn't think I was going to like the idea of Sabine being trained as a Jedi, but guess what? I'm oh, yeah. fully converted. I love it. Super good. Love it. All right, with the bandit threat uh, removed, Sabine collects her weapons and she checks the scanner, which is clearly destroyed. While dropping the smoldering device to the ground, she continues her search for Ezra on foot. By the way, that's another appearance of the uh, the Hoth scanner, although apparently this one... Slightly modified. A little smaller, maybe, hmm. than the thing that Han Solo was carrying. Yep. Yeah, yep. and the one that Hera was using. All right. Uh, back at the fortress, Balin and Shin head out on Howlers on the trail of Sabine, and then the camera pans up to the belly of the chimera. I love this moment. This was another one of those blink and you might've missed it. Um, going back to Balin and Shin's naming conventions. Mm -hmm. uh, interesting here that uh, Balin and Shin are both riding black and white howlers or a dark and a light one. Yep. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, that's cool. As a, uh, you know, as Norse wolves, uh, skull and Hattie are often depicted as black and white wolves. Looking deeper, Skull and Hadi are said to be chasing the sun and the moon perpetually and will not catch their prey until Ragnarok, at which time they will each catch their prey and the world will go dark. That are being they, said, that being said, <laughs> Ezra I have a and question. Sabine, the sun and the moon? Right. Is Ezra and Sabine the sun and the moon? Or the Ashla and the Bogon? The Ashla and the Bogon. That's a great analogy. I like that one. Mm. Mm. All right. Let's back it up here for a second. When Balin and Shin bail out of the uh, of the the fortress, and by the way, I cannot take credit for this. Uh, I hate getting credit. scooped, but uh, well done. <laughs> Absolutely, and I and I, you know I'm pretty critical of of uh, fo other folks who are doing this stuff online because, as you are, you know, folks of our show are no, I am not a fan of being first. I hate. I don't want to be first. Sure, I would love mm -hmm. to be first, but I'm not going to be first because I, it's more important to be thorough than it is to be first. And this week it kind of paid off because the guys over at new rock stars, uh, recognized this or somebody on Twitter actually pointed it out to them that the runes, the runes across the top of the fortress are actually in the Urkitat old tongue, but they're upside down. So if you, if you flip the, the whole phrase 180 degrees over, you get the proper orientation of the runes. And then when you go to the key for Urkitat, you get praise Kujet ruler of all may his reign last for all blah 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 and it trails off yeah well that just sent us down a rabbit hole we got to ask ourselves now who the hell is kujet 
while Kujet wow. introduced in the uh, uh, 2021 video game Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Kujet was one of three sages of the Zepho species. That species was introduced in that game. Together with the other, uh, sorry, three sages. Together with the other two, uh, Ilram and Mictrul, they were known as the three sages and they wielded the force or what the Zepho species refers to as the life wind. Hmm. Now, two of those uh, of the Zepho sages were reasonable. They liked to study the force and learn about the force. But Kujet, Kujet, he's a little different. And he ended up making his home, if you will, on Dathomir. Hmm. Dathomir being bathed in the dark side of the force. Well, unfortunately, Kujet turned to the dark side. And when he did eventually die, he was entombed within his own temple on Dathomir. And it was his death that marked the decline of Zepho culture. And eventually, the species is said to have gone extinct. Or did they? Or did they? Well, we know, we have a pretty good indicator that the Zepho were a technologically advanced species. Because if you've played Jedi Fallen Order, then you are acutely aware that each tomb in that game had a tomb guardian basically a, a samurai iron man robot <laughs> with a big beam weapon now recently back in season two of the bad batch the batch encountered this mechanical kaiju of sorts mm -hmm. on the uncharted planet uncharted planet of Skaranal, whose head and its layered armor plating bore a very striking resemblance to the zepho tomb guardians mm -hmm. i think it's a fair fair shake to say that uh this is zepho tech that we saw in the bad batch so now we've got uh more evidence of an ancient species mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is it zepho tech is it something related to the zepho is that the larger power that balan's been alluding to all along maybe going to be a bigger bad somewhere it's it's certainly or were they the direction. bad i don't know I like don't know. And, and again three sages three witches there's another triad. Yep. Yeah. There's a thought kicking around that the that the Dathomiri great mothers were perhaps uh, advisors or counsel to other ancient species like the Zepho. Hmm. I don't know if that holds water for me, but well, if you go back to the Greek mythology, the the uh, the weird sisters with the the eye the yeah. eye yeah and they yeah. would advise the good guys right that's if true the catacombs are full of zepho for them to reanimate well so <laughs> like that's a great hard that is a fantastic idea and I, I had not considered that remind me of that when we get there because hmm. i'm going to throw something else out that i i mentioned earlier this week to you guys anyway hmm. i also noted that the bandits hats like you had said i've got it so let slide? me let me just i okay. do i do so i just want to go back because this has been blowing up all over well since it, it kind of came out uh, the last couple of days people have been talking about it and people are getting this mistaken the runes behind morgan elizabeth they are definitely zepho runes but just to be clear there is no key to translate those rules the, those runes the the folks that uh at respawn that made the game there's no key they're gibberish they're mm -hmm. complete gibberish at least as of right now. Yeah. Now the runes on the right, the glowing blue runes, these are the same runic uh, symbols that were in the tunnel that led to the Kaiju 
on uh, Scaranol, and they are very, mm. very similar. So yeah. I I am saying for sure the the kaiju Zephotech. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then we got one more thing here. And I, you know what? I don't know if this is grasping at threads, but I, I, I couldn't, think it is. I couldn't, I could not ignore it that there's a couple of the bandits on the road that have these wide brimmed helmets or variations of them. That is mm-hmm. also coincidentally in the style of the Zepho, uh, uh, in their image, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I even thought that the, her moth shuttle, the, mo- the golden moth shuttle. Yeah. And it's, when you look at it in that light, go, oh, wow. There, you do wonder. Some, yeah. Some heavy influence. So, yeah. Is there a, a is there a, a bigger Zepho influence throughout the series that we're only just sort of starting to piece together? Coincidentally, Cameron Monaghan himself on Twitter. Yeah. Kind of backdoor announced the third game today. Oh, nice. Um, we didn't get a title or anything, did we? No, we did not. No, he just said they're beginning to work on it. It's coming. All right. We are so, and you know, Hank, you know how much of a fan I am of those games. Mm. We are so Jedi order game adjacent that Mm -hmm. like a live action appearance, it's got to be on the radar. It has to be on the plate. I want it to be. Mm. Oh, that's me romanticizing this stuff. Well, here's a weird Hail Mary for you. Sure. Uh, If you've looked into worldly ufos and the grays and all that they're always said that there is like a tall version and a short version interesting now does that uh particular silhouette remind you of any short green dudes <laughs> which silhouette the zepho the zepho you have you kind of blur your eyes blur your eyes turn them green and make them talk backwards oh you think so maybe he is the uh the, orig- the original zepho the short versions of the Zephos. I don't know. I take the, the, the head thing to be like skull, not ears. You know what? I'm not, it's just, a I don't rule out anything at this point. I've learned enough now. Don't rule out anything. Everything has weight here. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the bottom left well, one there. Right. I mean, very that, uh, so the, the, the bottom left and the top left are the same character from the front, front and the front back. And back. Yeah. Front and back. But there is another guy who's got one half is like, it's been cut off mm-hmm. you can, and it, they are shorter. Yes. The, the ridges are shorter. I don't know. Just the thought possible yeah. Zepho. Throwing it out there. At the top of the fortress, the night troopers working in pairs move long cylindrical containers out from the structure and onto the chimera. There is no doubt that these are caskets each containing a body that has been removed from the catacombs below. That's another one that blows me away. People speculating. I mean, it's on the nose. Like the, if the thing that's in front of you is the thing, what, what else do you store in catacombs folks? Mm -hmm. Um, Right. Bodies, (laughs) bodies. And they got little life readout displays. (laughs) I want to bring, I'm going to bring that up uh, at the end, but you are absolutely right. There is some sort of, monitoring system or now i went the other way with that what if that's just part of the repulsor system that just could be the, so i don't want to say that it's a pertaining to any sort of life there's a essence, scene where one passes but, by in the foreground and it's it's like there's some like chittering or some i'm going to bring that up i've yeah. got the i've got the audio for that i'm oh, going to play perfect. that when we get to the end because i think that's kind of where i think the the crux of the conversation is going to go because it, it's not that for, whoop 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 of a repulsor lift kind of yeah thing. yeah yeah and the other thing with transporting you would go back to solo right that's with right the uh oh the stuff we've seen lots of repulsor like, 
coaxium. Yeah, the yes. coaxium, sure. And yeah. they had to monitor the temperature of it yep. so it didn't overheat, yep. right? But that's right. So I Could mean, be. there is some, you know, transporting of stuff. But Could what be Star Trek torpedoes? Yeah, that's right. They're all Spocks. Like, all is Spocks. there really something they found on this planet worth <laughs> taking back? But Star Wars I... Twelve: The Search for Spock. <laughs> <laughs> But right. again, you got to take into account his deal with the Night Sisters, right? Which we don't know the details no. of. Oh, all, all we know is they've made a deal. That's right. At the center of the henge, Thrawn and Morgan stare at a map of what I believe is the known Star Wars galaxy. Uh, it looks certainly well charted with all of the map lines on top of it. Mm-hmm. Enoch interrupts them to report that the mercenaries have left the fortress. Satisfied with the report, Thrawn orders uh, two attack squads be prepared and to wait for Lord Balin's signal. Um, I want to bring something up here. This is the second time that he's been referred to as Lord Balin. Where does the title come from? I mean, I think it's just like an honorific, the same way they're calling Ahsoka Lady Tano all the time. Interesting. Okay. It's an honorific. Ladies okay. and lords. I wondered if maybe it was a, a familial thing, like Count Dooku. Oh, he was a knight. Like It's like Sir. I suppose, yeah. Yeah, mm, yeah. Yeah. And it does go back to the whole uh, Arthurian. Yeah. Morgan suggests that they send more troops to support them. Thrawn pauses in thought before telling her that during their time in exile, that numbers have dwindled. So, no. Two squads will do. We got TJC, TJC on YouTube, just popping in to say morning. I can't stay. I got to work in six hours. Oh, oh man. No worries. <laughs> well, I hope you have a fantastic day and uh, I hope your weekend was great and uh, we will catch up soon. Uh, the pause here has me asking some questions. And I, I mean, these are the questions that have been, yeah, been floating, around. floating around. What did we lose the troops to? Did they die in the journey there? Or was it the Raiders? You know, that whole explosive looking for stuff or like, I'm sure a few people were killed from explosive decompression. Yeah. Um, you think we crashed? No, because I don't think they would have put them down gently. There's too much of the ship intact. I think to have survived a crash, although that could, I could be wrong or they just let them go once they hit space. It's been a decade though. It's been a decade. So for sure, for sure. All right, troops right now, there's no chance we're getting home. So you can stay with me or you can leave and do your own thing and good luck to you. Yeah. I do believe that a certain number of people probably given the opportunity would have. Yeah. Tootalooed and see you later. You got me here. See ya. Yeah. There could have been a whole lot of like, we're the empire. So we're just going to go out and dominate, take over this village. And maybe they learned like, Oh, this is, we can't do that. Yeah. They're going to run us through like, you know, one thought uh, that came up was, are some of the bandits deserters? Maybe it's possible. You know, They're just the whole even Thrawn not used to operating from the back foot. Yeah. As Enoch leaves to carry out Thrawn's orders, he reminds Morgan that their primary objective is to escape this galaxy, and it doesn't matter if Sabine and Ezra are killed or stranded here. And that being said, the same goes for Morgan's mercenaries as well. So cold. Yeah. Morgan doesn't seem too upset about that. No. It's like, no. okay, whatever. She's there for him. Well, she said that it. forever. Your servant. Yep. Yeah. What did he do for her? That's the question, right? Yeah. What did he do for her? She yeah, was making ships for the her? empire. So yeah, that's another looming question. Yeah. Back in the wasteland, Sabine's howler has come back with its tail between its legs. 
I really hope it's not that simple. What do you mean? No, sorry. She's making ships for the empire. I just need to put an empire guy back in power so I can start making money again. Oh, money. Oh, but you <laughs> know, there's a strong indicator, but there's a strong indicator that it could be that. Yeah. Um, because in that episode where they go to Morgan Elsbeth's her holdings on Corellia, and, and it's not greed. It's not yeah. uh, restoring it's not her, evil, her family greed. tradition. Yeah, it's not yeah, evil. It's like, greed. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The line was in the in that episode too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, back in the wasteland, a Sabine's howler has come back, and with its tail between its legs, mm-hmm. as it trots after the very angry Mandalorian. She shakes a finger at it as she shouts, you abandoned me. And then she storms off a short distance later. Sabine faces the howler and points for it to go away, which it does only to trot back after her when she storms away a second yeah. time. <laughs> Love this moment. This is that anthropomorphize, uh, anthropomorphizing yeah. thing I was talking about with the howler uh, perpetually whining and moaning. Sabine lets out a sigh and she turns to face the creature. She levels her finger at it and she tells it, Fine, I'll give you another chance, but you better not bail on me this time. The howler moves close to her and nods its head, and Sabine scratches its muzzle. Lifting its head, it looks at her quizzically, not sure what to do next. Sabine says to her mount, Well, friend, this is your world. Raising its nose, the howler sniffs at the air and seemingly picks up on something. Then Sabine gets back into the saddle, and the two of them race off on the trail of whatever it was the howler smelled smell jedi (laughs) fear (laughs) eventually they come across a a small stream and uh, the howler stops to take a drink dismounting sabine asks am i missing something you were thirsty is that it sabine reaches for the canteen strapped to her saddle but the howler suddenly stops drinking and it begins to sniff in the air again I'm not sure what to make of it. Sabine puts a hand on her pistol and she follows the howler as it begins to track something on the air. Eventually the howler dials in what Sabine thinks is a rock. And she says, you're embarrassing yourself. But the howler is persistent and begins to lick the rock. Suddenly the rock springs up from the ground and it's not a rock at all. Instead, it is a diminutive blue-green crab-like humanoid and it runs for it. It's not a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started. Uh-huh. Don't get me started. Uh-huh. Don't get me started. Kim, Kim, I, so here's a funny story. We were in the drive-thru and I was explaining her this conversation we were having about this. And I was so animated that I drove past the menu board and had to stop, put the window down and look back to make my order at the nice. drive-thru. <laughs> nice. I almost didn't order at the drive-thru. I was so mad. <laughs> for anybody who said this was a turtle no so weirdest looking turtle i've ever seen it's got claws for hands and eye stalks it's a it's clearly based on a hermit crab slash hobbit <laughs> that's right yeah he's, i, he's I so, do like that it's, they're wearing so hobbit clothes the clothes yeah. yeah oh yeah the subtitles refer to the creature as a uh, noti n-o-t-i the noti Surprised, Sabine draws her pistol on the Noti, which ends up tripping over an actual rock while trying to get away from her and falls flat on its face. Seeing the gun trained on it, uh, it scuttles on its hands and knees like a crab a few more feet before retreating back into its shell. Sabine and the Howler watch the little creature as it lay there terrified. Finally, she says, okay, yeah, that trick's over. 
lifting its shell, the Noti sees Sabine's pistol and immediately drops the shell again. She tells it to get up, but she can still see it laying there, but the sight of her gun has the poor thing petrified. Changing gears, Sabine lays down her pistol and she says, I'm not going to hurt you. And the little fellow finally stands up. This is very uh, Leia Wicket. Mm-hmm. Except he's far less uh, vicious. He's less less uh, spear pointy. Yes. And more like, you look interesting. Uh, but he's still uh, intimidated by the howler, who I'm not sure wouldn't eat him were Sabine not there. I, I think if, yeah, yeah. yeah, if he was just like a wild howler, <laughs> right, yeah. he might feed on these uh, things. Lunchtime. With the command word that she picked up from Enoch, Sabine coaxes the beast to lay down. Pointing at the howler, the Noti starts blabbering, and Sabine reassures him that, no, it, it won't hurt you. Sabine kneels down to try and reassure the Noti it is at his level, but when the howler growls, she turns to tell it to settle down. And in the process, her cloak slips off her shoulder, revealing the Alliance starbird emblazoned on her shoulder pauldron. Excitedly, the Noti points and yammers at it with great interest. Touching the starbird, Sabine asks if he likes it, and he excitedly produces a painted wooden medallion around his neck with the same Alliance starbird carved into it. Coming to the conclusion that this could only have come from Ezra, Sabine asks if he knows him. Chattering away, the Noti gives a signal, and five other rocks get up and join them. The six Noti talk amongst themselves in their native language, but two words are clear. Ezra Bridger. Sabine asks if they know him, telling that he's her friend. They talk amongst themselves for a few more seconds before beckoning Sabine to follow them. And as they head out, Sabine scratches her howler under the chin, telling it, you did good. That'll do, pig. Don't eat the hermit crab, people. Don't eat the crab gypsies. They're definitely, they're definitely gypsies. Crabbits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't eat the crabbits. <laughs> That's it. That's the term. That's what they are. All right. At the scene of the bandit ambush, Balin and Shin survey the remains. Balin surmises that Sabine has survived. Shin asks if he knows who it is that they're looking for. He says, uh, no, that Ezra is too young, adding that he comes from a brand, a breed of what he calls Boken Jedi that were trained in the wild after the fall of the order. So is, that the, is that the term now? Boken Boken. Jedi? Boken wild Jedi. Jedi. I guess so. Yeah. I have to know, I, again, all these questions. Does that mean that there were Boken Jedi during the time of the Jedi order? Well, does that not trained make Luke? A Boken Jedi. Yeah. hundred percent. He was trained in the Oh, world. absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Everybody yeah. after orders. Outside of the order. Yeah. hundred um, percent. And I just love that it comes from the, the wooden sword. Which we was a training that. weapon. Yeah. So yeah. like inferior to a real blade. You right. Know, like, like, oh, it's so good. Oh, it's so good, Deep Loney. Yeah, it's going to get even better here. I'm going to come back to some of the, the ideas that we already talked about a little earlier. Um he says that he comes from a breed of Boken Jedi that were trained in the wild after the fall of the order. And what does Shin say? Like, like me. me. Pointing at her, Balin says, no, he was trained as a Jedi. You, I trained to be something more. Mm-hmm. Kneeling down beside one of the bandit bodies, Shin senses there is something else. And she asks her master if he misses the Jedi order. Balin scoffs as he lifts his head. He says that he misses the idea of it, but not the truth, the weakness, adding that there was no future there. Shin asks if he can clearly see one here in this wasteland. 
And she does, she makes a point of saying, can you clearly see one? Mm -hmm. Balin says that he sees what once was the great witch kingdom of the Dathmiri. Now, this is an interesting point. Now, I, I could not find the reference for it. In the subtitles, he omits the O. He doesn't say Dathmiri, it's Dathmiri. T-H-M-I-R-I. The ancient Is version. that the first time we've heard that that way? Morgan makes a mention to her people. Does she say yeah. it the same way? I think it's just a, it's either just a pronunciation of his thing. point, yeah. a part, part of his accent, and then the subtitles picked it up. Oh, maybe. Or yeah. it's like a mispronunciation of like, you know, like Satos. Oh, yeah. yeah Ahsoka yeah, yeah, yeah. the name of the, yeah. uh, the planet. Satos. Yeah. <laughs> or we'll get it again when Set we us. catch up with uh, Hu Yang yeah. and find out he's telling her one of the tales of the Death Mary. Oh, maybe. Hmm. Did you but notice that a couple of these guys were uh, present I, in the fight before? I do feel like these are probably the guys that ran away come back with another guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or maybe there were five guys that ran away, which makes uh, the which uh, makes the original fight a fight of nine. Did yeah. you get Tuscan Rider vibes off them at all? Like, like the, the, the audio, bit. the audio, some of the, 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 some of the language. Now this is an mm. interesting, this is actually coming up here. I'm, I'll bring it up here in a few seconds. Actually, I'll bring it up now. Um, in the ambush, it talks about, there's an exchange of language and the subtitles say bandit leader speaking in alien language. Right. Now in this scene, when we hear, when we hear them talk amongst themselves again, it says speaking in the Noti language. Hmm. There you go. So they are speaking the same language. So they didn't want to give it away. I guess. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. I like mm -hmm. the way that they crafted that. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Balin says that he sees what was once the great witch kingdom of the Dathmiri. He says that the existence of the great mothers confirms that. Shin points out that they seem eager to leave Peridia and she suggests to her master that maybe they should be as well. Balin says that maybe they're fleeing a power that is greater than their own. So, oh, what's um, in that temple? And he says, uh, something calls to me. Can't you hear it? Something stirs here. Can't you see it? It's almost like he's reciting poetry. Well, mm. he's, he's at this point, the flip side of Morgan, right? Cause she's like, don't you hear it? It calls to me over. Oh time yeah, space. yeah. 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 And now something calls to him. That's very, uh, it's creepy. It's creepy AF by the way. <laughs> looking up at the ridge behind them uh shin says i see bandits and uh, indeed five more bandits uh on mounts look down at them shin reaches for her lightsaber but balin gestures saying there's no need for bloodshed citing the adage the enemy of our enemy is our friend for now the bandits atop their howler uh, mounts talk among themselves in the noti language as they stare down at the false jedi Later on, Sabine, following the band of Noti, arrive at what looks like a small village. Crabiton. Several, what's a Crabiton. <laughs> Crabtown. <laughs> Several small rounded structures are arranged in a circular pattern next to a lake. As they move into the village, it becomes clear that the pod-like structures are not permanent dwellings. In fact, they're composed of a segmented metal shells. Each little dome bears a pilot's seat on top of it. As Sabine passes the villagers, they all casually take notice of her. Sabine pats her howler on the snout and tells it to stay as she walks further into the village. A mother rocks her baby in a makeshift hammock while another man works at repairing an antenna atop one of the pod houses, and Sabine smiles at him. 
The noti with the starboard pendant leads Sabine over to a tray of food and offers her some, but she declines. Now, standing in the center of the village, the camera begins to pan around Sabine, and it seems like all eyes are now on her. Did you get the same vibes here as uh, like an inverse of the Thrawn introduction? Like, as opposed to him walking towards them, she's kind of walking through the troops, if you will. Oh, she that's interesting. Yeah. 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 Because like, you're waiting. You're like, okay, is he there? Is he there? Is he there? Yeah. And then. It know. doesn't have any of the pomp and circumstance no, of, a, of no. a parade. That's for sure. No. But you get a yeah. vibe off of any of these huts, the similarity of them. I was thinking some you of the, the junk stuff that we saw on Jakku. Do, do they not look like escape pods? A little bit, maybe. Especially the one as they come out of. I can see it. Yeah, I can see that. A window. I'm interested <laughs> in knowing. Now I want to know more. <laughs> Would you like to know more? I thought segmented, mm-hmm. right? The, the I feel like maybe the you know like a like Ball a up. pram, like a baby's pram. Yeah, like in uh, a roll. What do you call it? What are, what are those insects that uh, roll up like that? Potato bugs. We don't. Pill, what are the real nerds? Pill, yeah. pill, pill bug. Something. Armadillos. Somebody will. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel though, you know it it thematically works because it's, they look like shells, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Segmented shells, just like the, the backpack shells. Yeah. It's like Iron Man helmets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really just laying their face up, staring at the sky. All right. Including a taller figure, just out of focus, a male human voice says, I knew I could count on you. And the camera snaps into focus just as Sabine's head snaps to look at the man. A much older Ezra Bridger leans against the doorway to one of the pod houses. Not immune to the passage of time, Ezra now sports a full beard and a shaggy mop of hair, his entire outfit looking nothing like the last time we saw him. Sabine beams at him, and Ezra shoots a smile back at her. Walking toward her, he says, Oh, it sure took you long enough. (laughs) Jokingly, Sabine jibes back, Well, you didn't exactly tell any of us where you were going. Of course, Ezra had no idea that this was where he would end up. And the two banter back and forth about how Ezra always seems to have a plan, but it's never a good one. Ezra waves his hands. Hey, it worked, didn't it? Then furrowing his brow, he repeats, didn't it? So rebels. It is that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, the two my. of them bantering back and the forth. Exchange that is was so, so good. Yeah. The way she like, you know, she does like the courtly gesture. Yeah. Oh, man. Sabine admits that, yes, it did. And the two of them share a big hug. And several Noti gather around watch uh, to watch, excited at their reunion. Well, stepping back, uh, Sabine clasps Ezra by the shoulder and takes him in again. Ezra gestures at the Noti. I see my friends found you. Sabine says, yeah, calling them Ezra's own band of rebels. Ezra says that he has so many questions, starting with uh, how she managed to get a howler to ride. But more importantly, how did she ever get here and how did she find him? Sabine sighs as she says, let's not talk about that. Not right now. With an understanding that she is avoiding something, Ezra leans in, Sabine. But Sabine just rolls her head and she shakes him off. Hey, I just want to be happy that I found you. After all this time, can I have that? Ezra chuckles, of course. Then turning to the crowd, he speaks something in the Noti language. And then a villager shouts something at the rest of the uh, the village, and they begin to pack up. 
Ezra tells Sabine that they never stay in one place for very long and says that they should help them pack it up. Pausing for a moment, Ezra, Ezra calls out to her, Sabine, thanks for coming. I can't wait to go home. Oh. Yeah, that is a tough one, eh? Yep. Then he steps past her, and while Sabine hides her regret at not telling him the circumstances. And she's definitely struggling with that. There's yeah. got to be, like, there has to be a scene. Oh, it's going to be a moment. Like, I catch up. What like, do you mean you got here? How? That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, if you could, He's you can off camera so much of that stuff, but you've got everything to he that. sacrificed, she just yeah. undid. Yep. I didn't know I was going to get emotional when I saw him either. I knew it was coming. I was already ready for it. I really I liked it. didn't know that I was going to start crying. I was like, Such oh a God. contrast to the holographic uh, message yeah. that we got back in the, the tower. There's a, a girl on TikTok. I don't know her name. I should I should give her an actual shout out. Maybe in the in the chat we'll do a post. But oh, she's sure. been doing uh, a TikTok, uh, a, a post every single day since the last episode of Rebels. Oh, wow. And and it's the Ezra Bridger, Bridger watch. And she's got a oh, she's got a counting board. Cool. She sticks a sticky tape on her mirror, and she's got like yeah. this little shrine to Ezra Bridger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, that's cool. She calls him her beautiful, beautiful boy. Oh. And then she is weeping uh, after when they reunited. And that's how I know it's 2,024 days since they've, yeah. they've seen wow him and Thrawn. <laughs> and Lauren said that girl wow. was the first thing she thought about when she saw Ezra in the show. Isn't that yeah. cool? There's a small detail that people are talking about, and I, I, I did put it up here for us. We can talk about it too. I regret not using the character poster for this. Like I said earlier, mm. it's it's a much clearer image. And you, you guys uh, go and look at the uh, the Lucasfilm, the Disney character poster for Ezra, and and go in really tight on it because it almost looks like you can actually make out some lettering on those tags. The prevailing theory <laughs> or thought. Uh, here is that the the chain mail that Ezra is wearing under his very night sister palette robes, by the way, mm -hmm. um, are stormtrooper dog tags, which would be new. We've never seen dog tags before. We've seen identity discs. We've seen well, various forms of those. Clone that's kind of why I've never used them, right? What's that? That's kind of why I'm not convinced that that's what it is. That that's what it is. Yeah, uh, we we've never seen sort of like a, a stormtrooper dog tag, which. And we have seen their ID chip, like not in live action. Right, right. Identity chips, I think it, they called them in right, Legends. Right, right, Because there would be no need for them with the clones because they were already numbered. They were already uh, tattooed numbered. and coded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will grant that it's it's suitably morbid and it's suitably, um, I mean, it's not because it's not all that morbid collecting the, the, the tags. This is like, a, what, but it, what was it's the right in line with his collecting stuff. Um, yeah. Tom Berenger's character did it in, uh, in platoon, uh, yeah. grab the dog tags of the people that the, the fallen, mm -hmm. uh, you've got uh, variations of this with, uh, um, Dolph Lundgren's character in, 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 uh, cyborg collecting ears mm -hmm. of, of his down. So this is nothing new taking a trophy, but this just seems uncharacteristic of Ezra. The only thing that I would say is that you could loosely I mean, Ezra has a thing for Imperial helmets. Yeah. Helmets right, and stuff. Right. I could see him taking a dog tag, but taking enough dog tags to make a chain shirt out of them seems not yeah. very characteristic of him. No. Yeah. 
that being said, I put up some real world dog tags. Now you <laughs> it's know, one thing to, to, to kill an enemy in battle. It's another thing to make a lamp out of his back. Well, <laughs> 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 These are all second world war examples of uh, dog tags from the United States, Japan, Russia, and Germany. Uh, and I chose second world war dog tags because of the influence that second world war had on star Wars. Um, if anything, if they are dog tags, you would think that they would be patterned after yeah, the period appropriate stuff. So mm. I'm not saying that they're dog tags. I'm not saying that they're not, they not could be dog tags. tags. Yeah. It could be Pot credits. Tabs. It could be credits. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. worthless here. here, right? That's absolutely true, isn't it? All right. Well, um, back at the fortress, the night troopers continue to load the caskets onto the chimera. Thrawn and Morgan meet with the great mothers who tell him uh, that the thread of fate has spoken to them and a Jedi is coming, riding the travelers. So the, the great mothers refer to the Purgle as the travelers. Mm. Uh, Thrawn pauses for a moment before he calls it unwelcome news and Morgan twitches very uneasily at this new revelation. Without looking at her, Thrawn asks Morgan, could it be the recently deceased Ahsoka Tano? But Morgan calls it impossible. So they've been talking off camera right there. They've been already yeah. talking off camera. Yeah. He's up to speed. Oh, yeah, that she's been killed and we're here. And that the Empire's fallen, et cetera, et cetera. I think he's fully up to speed by this point. Well, that's possible as well. Mm. Yeah. Here's what you're walking back into when we get you back. And is I it mean, like, has she I, been has she been the one to coordinate with the Shadow Council to like to keep them appraised of like is she the one that sort of set the, like, I'm going to go and get him and bring him back. Or her spies, like I said earlier, the whispers, right? Yeah. Right, right. And it's, I mean, I know I said it very crassly in the, in the chat, but uh, the, uh, the, the obelisk is filling oh, yeah. the belly of the yeah. Star Destroyer with its progeny. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting way of putting it. I, you know, when I saw I mean, this. Literally, it's about to give birth to the next version whatever of the is in those caskets. For all the Jeff Dunham fans out there, when I see this, I, I'm like, Chimera on a steak. <laughs> on a steak. <laughs> but then I immediately go to, and this is something that Kim said as a as a toy, mm. as a toy guy, that is a Star Destroyer on a stand. Yeah. I mean, that's, I like that. What do we got? got one from Doug here. What do we got going on here? Doug, were the credits best guy? Policy. Oh, oh that's oh, were Imperial uh, credits made to Beskar? I not yet. think that they would not be. So. Not yet. No, they didn't. The per the uh these would be Imperial credits. They would be Imperial credits. They wouldn't be made of Beskar yet. Now the, we've uh, seen Imperial credits. The we've Purge seen Imperial credits. hasn't happened yet. So wait, let's go back. Let's go back for a second because we've seen we've seen Imperial credits in Andor, oh, and Imperial credits are gold. Oh, I thought there was also a silver variation. Was there? Republic credits. They're no good here. Hmm. Oh, it was Andor where we saw like crates. crates they and crates spilled and yeah. they spilled a bunch of them on the floor. Yeah, I don't think these are credits. Perhaps they're different. Uh, oh, there's silver ones in this image. Interesting. Ooh, I don't know if I can get you to see that. Oh, sorry. I think I just kicked Andy. That's all good. All different. All colors. right, right. Oh, those are the Galaxy's Edge ones. Those are the Galaxy's Edge. Uh, um, uh, credit chips from the theme park. Not in there. I wonder if we should be checking the credit collection now to see which uh, variations. <laughs> uh, stand by. Seriously, <laughs> well, we seriously. have a private conversation. Please stand by. 
Well, I mean, I can stick here on this one for a while. That's cool. Oh, that's interesting. What is that the actual credits? Yeah, yeah those are the credits we saw on the show. Credits. Yeah. Okay. All right. No so, reason to believe that they don't come in different denominations, say? Yeah. I would say that they do, yeah. Hmm. No different than your copper. All right. Well, so we'll say that the, the final is, is still out on that one. We won't, we won't call that one. Not, uh, I like not, pop tabs. <laughs> it could, the pop tab thing. That's hilarious by the way. But again, I don't know with the, what I, the repetitive nature of them, because it's the same, like they've been stamped Yeah, that I'm like, Oh, maybe, maybe that's one reason why I can get behind the dog tag thing. I really want to look at, thing, though. I am going to go. Once we're done here tonight, I'm going to get that poster and I'm going to zoom in on it. I'm going to put that, the, the blown up image up on our social media. So you guys can mm-hmm. all go and take a look at it. You can decide for yourself what you think it is. And I do want to know, I want to hear from you guys what you think. Mm-hmm. All right. Where are we now here? Uh, Recently deceased the Ahsoka Tano. The death. Uh, where are we here? Um, oh, oh yeah. So she protests citing that Balin assured her of Ahsoka's death, but Thrawn refutes that. Oh no, I've, I've, I've missed some. Turning to face Morgan. Turning to face Morgan, Thrawn remarks that he uh, uh, that he thought it was impossible for her to underestimate a Jedi, adding that death and resurrection are common deceptions played about by both Night Sister and Jedi alike. Mm-hmm. Death that and right resurrection there, eh? isn't that something? He calls he calls the Force and the magic a deception. Yeah, is that the? Uh, I just don't I don't believe in it. Well, he's, he's got to on some it. level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, guys, yeah. see, guys seen some stuff. Yeah. Oh, you were right. Nice scissors. They got here. Morgan meekly protests, citing that Balin assured her of Ahsoka's death. Thrawn refutes that with the understanding that Balin too was once a Jedi. He insists that they must now consider him flawed. And until they positively know otherwise, they will consider Ahsoka Tano alive. In the meantime, Thrawn orders Morgan to dig up everything she can on Ahsoka. He wants to know her background, her history, homeworld, her master, and everything else he can. And I almost took a screenshot of the Ahsoka Tano playlist from Disney Plus to put in the slides. (laughs) (laughs) Now, how would she have access to that information if she wasn't like, she couldn't just like have her spies find it out or check the galactic registry if she's, you know. Yeah, I presumably... I don't know. Maybe she's got that information on her. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> when he finds out, though, I mean, if you guys oh, yeah. have read the uh, the Ascendancy novels, um, the one thing that most people don't realize about Thrawn is he's an active admiral or during the Clone Wars, late stage Clone Wars, served with Anakin right. Skywalker. Yep. And then served early in the Empire with Darth Vader and was one of the only people to go, oh, was it wait the other? And, and like figure it out puts it all together you would think if he served with anakin though that he would know anakin's padawan well yeah that's probably true he might just not yeah. know the or name it, like, or she might just be below his notice right hmm. like okay, given how intrinsically linked they were during the clone war like oh, and then yeah. mind you ahsoka did he do solo mission she did Skull's name yeah 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 so which is interesting because it, so balin Balin says to Shin, when I was, you know, no more, uh, uh, just a year or two older than you. Mm-hmm. And he was a general. So he was a general at what? Like 20 something. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. So was Anakin. 19. Yeah. 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 Again, kids fighting wars, man. Right. 
Well, didn't they give the title of general to Ahsoka as well? Commander. Commander. Commander, yeah. All the Padawans got an honorary commander because they were attached to their Jedi masters. While concluding the conversation, he orders that uh, if a star whale approaches a Peridia, she is to destroy it with prejudice. With prejudice. <laughs> You're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that too. Like, what have you got on you that can. Well, like, so wait a minute. Remember, a remember in the dogfight um, on Setos, uh, and yeah. I'd said, like, the, the stray blaster bolts from the fighters didn't seem to affect the purgle yeah, at just, all no, just like a little scratch you are like the buzzing of was that? was that a, what was that i don't know yeah the light is hitting me turning back to the great mothers thrawn remarks that once again he will have need of their dark magic mm. and as the camera pushes in on thrawn's expressionless face clothau replies the thread of destiny demands it grand admiral and we cut to black Ah, but i'm not done i'm not done i want to go back because there there is that big detail but wait there's more there is more i want to go back to this moment this this is the moment we're talking about Mm. when thrawn and morgan are approaching the great mothers there's a trooper pushing one of these caskets and it's right in the foreground now you might have missed it when you watched it the first time but i encourage you if you did not see this go back and watch it again that box is visibly vibrating sure is (laughs) and we get this audio cue as they pass in front of the camera. Take a listen to this. Great mothers, you wish to speak with me. So there is this hum, but also that it's clearly one of those shaker instrument yeah. things. But the, the hum and the chittering, that is definitely that. Even the stereo effect. I don't know if you got that, Hank, the stereo mm-hmm. effect from left to right on that. Yeah, yeah. As it passed in front of the camera. Would, would we equate this maybe to a frozen storm of locusts? About to get unleashed well, on so that's a, that's an interesting thought but the idea that something in there is waiting to bust out like right. i think that's the message that's trying to be conveyed here and it's got that here. modulated quality like it's many sounds layered absolutely it's right. so in line with enoch and the night sister voices and all of that stuff uh, that like to go back about. to that clone wars episode where dooku is fighting the risen night sisters or even if there's audio cues in fallen order when marin raises seriously yeah and find out if it's anything close to that well this is that time where i'm going to come back to it that whole why do we not see other night sisters why do we not see other officers and what are they fleeing from Hmm. let's tie it all together let's put some let's wrap this one up what do you guys think what's going on i mean the basic is thrawn he wants to go home sure I mean, he still wants to rule the galaxy, but maybe not this galaxy. It doesn't look like he's in a position to rule this galaxy. No, no, not at all. He's he's formidable, but he needs that. He needs his empire back up. He needs an empire behind him to to, do. The only influence he has uh, is the fact that they need him to leave. They don't have a ship. He's got a ship, but he needs them for to get the ship here. There's a whole other layer of Thrawn that's going on here, too, that most people are discounting. And that's the fact that he's undercover as a grand admiral in the Empire for the Chiss Ascendancy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. He's like his own people. Right. He's loyal to his own people in the end. This is he's undercover in an enemy camp to learn about them (laughs) and essentially taking them over. Is his plan to bring them back to the chiss ascendancy to make them powerful man i don't know man i do not know 
this whole greater uh, greater power thing, I think, is uh, something that we're going to see play out. Um, I- I'm definitely excited for that, but I'm really I've really been stuck on this whole like we've only seen stormtroopers and there's only three night sisters. We had a huge side chat this week about and and it got way into the weeds about you know how they could have propagated why? their species exactly about propagating the species and we got mm-hmm. right into like midichlorians and influencing the midichlorians to make life and all of that stuff well i thought about this and i i'm this isn't nobody else has mentioned this and so i'm gonna put i don't think it's gonna happen but we're all about the hail marys here yep. mm-hmm. so i'm gonna hail mary a theory here that yes we are taking bodies back to the new galaxy and yes maybe they are dead bodies that we're going to reanimate we saw mother talzin do that in the in the clone wars although it did not work in her favor unfortunately and that could be what they're doing but i thought about this the night sisters are fleeing we only see three of them are they trying to save their own species Mm -hmm. if that's the case Mm -hmm. what if these are not caskets but they are in fact suspended animation pods what caused everyone to flee this galaxy in the first place? Right. Yeah. Like what is so bad on this planet that Purgles come here to die? Well, there is that. There is that. I mean, it could it just be circle of life kind of stuff. Maybe for the Purgles it is. This is the end point. Maybe, of- maybe it is a, a full, a circle, a circle of life moment for the Purgles. You do get but- the point that they're like above and beyond, like this so disconnected with what, like what's happening on the ground. Like sentience, yeah. you know, like <laughs> I agree. We assume they're dumb because we can't communicate with them, but really they're so smart that we don't even register on their radar. Yeah. Yeah. They, they would have to. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where I'm going with this. Uh, I'm somewhere between it's an undead army. Enoch may or may not be alive. I think Mm -hmm. it's actually West Chatham. I think it it commands uh, enough screen presence that uh, he should, we should get a, a shot of his face at some yeah. point. I think that would be cool. Yeah. And uh, Star Wars loves to kill a guy in a cool mask prematurely. I mean, there's nothing That's better. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> well, at least they crack that mask half open sometimes. Again, I, mean, like I, was, a, I was starting ahead. to head into the ricotta territory. Sure. Not, not the cheese. No, um, no, the ricotta, the ricotta empire the ricotta empire. And, yeah. and, and really diving into the beginning of the Jedi and, and, um, and the Thoyor and the, the way that I, our galaxy, like I like to call it, was populated by um, these extra planier beings that we yeah. didn't really have a line on, but that that went around the Star Wars galaxy in Legends, gathering up four sensitives and brought them to Tython to create the Jedi Order. Yeah. And I thought, you know, well, he could be, if he's looking for Star Wars bedrock, one of these Thon Yor, one of these ancient ship temples yep uh could be it but now that the the zepho stuff has come to light yeah. i think we really are rewriting the beginning of star wars mm. uh, mm-hmm. in a whole because the those pre-ricotta travelers or they're, they're never defined before i think they gave them a name that i can't recall but if if they were redefined as the zepho yeah uh, uh everything can still sort of cascade and they can still pick and choose the cool parts of that. Um, Certainly Zepho are a galaxy breaking. Well, bad guy to to be up against. Like like I said, we saw that one Kaiju sized robot walk over everything. It walked through what an entire settlement. 
yeah. um, took a mountain down, like it busted out of a mountain. Hmm. If that's the level of power that we're talking and I mean, Maybe I don't need that could take out a purgle. Oh, oh, for sure. For sure. So or blasting if, purgle from the ground. I, and that's the other thing. Like, what has he got left weapons wise on that star destroyer? Yeah, I don't know. Or have they found something within I, that temple? Like, honestly, I, I didn't notice the engine thing, but I don't like that. Doesn't even look like it's got more than just like uh, you know. Um, yeah, it's a maneuver thrusters. <laughs> when they flip around to the back, the you know, there's like the three big engines and all uh-huh. those the four yeah. little ones. Just the little ones are lit. Yeah. yeah. So like, are is that why the ship came in low that they just can't can't get they it can't that high. right right they, they need the uh we saw the eye of scion drop into the atmosphere of a planet they maybe need the eye of scion to come get, get out of the atmosphere America. yeah 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 oh. well, same, were we not talking about this a couple episodes ago about fuel consumption and we were yeah 10 years right 10 years how are you going to keep that thing well, going? there you go i mean is that another element of night sister magic maybe is yeah. the, the gold stuff uh it the, runs the on magic sauce the, the, the lacquer school bus chimera Here's a cool one. Maybe Ezra's learned to wield that magical green energy lightsaber that the Night Sisters wield. Oh, yeah. That's an interesting thought, too. Which might come up quicker than we think. Two episodes left, guys. Two episodes left. We are not getting um, a resolution to the the bigger themes at the end of this. No. Just not happening. Season two, I'm going to call it right now. Season two, or are we going to, are we going to stew on this for another year, possibly two, uh, for the film, for the Filoni film with the writer's strike on? I mean, that, that kind of, that does throw a wrench into things. It really does. Mm -hmm. If let's take the the strike out of it, let's just say it's full steam ahead now. Well, you gotta think Filoni's already written it. It's done in his mind. He just needs to do it. Probably. Right. Are we at a point with Star Wars television where the Avengers style crossover movie is the next logical step or is there need do we need to build this more before we get to that because Thrawn seems like your your Thanos level yes we still don't have all the players together yet no we got to get Mando I, right. back in we got to get Boba back in you only got Zeb. you know get two 45 in. minute episodes left to get Ahsoka involved in some way i don't yeah i don't feel like I mean, if we're going to bring in the Mandalorians and and the Mando and Grogu, the reunited you know, Mandalorians, poss- and the possibly the Rangers of the New Republic, yeah. uh, you know that kind. Of, and skeleton crew is supposed to be tied into this as well too. So right, right. Um, it just feels like there's a lot more of this part of the story to tell. I hate for yeah. season five to only be eight episodes long. So then, <laughs> one more season of Ahsoka. At least the season of Skeleton Crew, if when that happens. Mm-hmm. A fourth season of Mando, right? A fourth season of Mandalorian before we get to a film? I think we know that, yeah. Isn't okay. that? I don't, I was just, I'm just putting it out there. Yeah. I mean, they, I know they pushed all this, the films back, but we're talking 2025. Uh, yep. I mean, maybe even more. Maybe even more. I don't want it to Who stop knows? at all. I don't no, want. I don't I'm, want it to culminate in a feature film that is the end of it, everything for me. I, I don't want to. I don't want a Return of the Jedi again. I want. I want. Oh, no, right, right. I, I just want to. On April third, there's a new show coming out. Something's coming, and we're going to be at. Got to get my second season of Andor. Yep. Mind you, it's not tied into this, so we we know where that one's ending. The dark. Yeah, maybe you throw some elements in there. Oh yeah, Andor could run into Hera or something. Another super weapon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Andor has already run into Hera. That was in Rogue One. It just happened off camera. 
she's at she's at Yavin when uh, he's there. Yeah. yeah. Wow, this was a, a fun one to unpack. I'm uh, here. We are at the end of it. Um, any final words, guys, before we wrap it up? Best episode ever. You know what? I might uh, I might be on board with that now. <laughs> now that we've been able to have that conversation. Yeah, I mean, tear worthy moments and more questions. I don't do horror, and more. and this this had the appropriate creep factor for me. Mm. So I I appreciate that. We've got uh, one more. We've got this Tuesday uh, to get through, and then uh, don't forget uh, the third of October, the finale right here live with us on Fandom Power. We'll be watching it live. Well, you'll be watching it live at the same time that we are together, but not together. Not together. We, will, we will react to it all together. <laughs> we'll come we'll together, together. All together. <laughs> That's right. we We'll be together. <laughs> we'll be together, but not together. <laughs> all right. Uh, come hang out with us on Tuesday nights when we do uh, Random Fandom Tuesday nights. It is a call-in show. Uh, we like to talk about entertainment headlines uh, throughout the week. We generally throw in some weird stuff that's sort of outside of that as well as we touch on some of the fringier stuff. And uh, yeah, it's generally a good time. If not, we'll see you back here uh, next Sunday night as we uh, chew on episode number six, seven, 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 seven. seven. Oh my seven, gosh. Seven, seven, seven. I'm looking at the six right in front of me on my notes. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, you just want more episodes. It's, it's okay. <laughs> Let me get this. Out of here. Let's this slow it down a little. Episode I six. Know, I know. Six, <laughs> six and a half. Six point. <laughs> slow oh, it down. All right. Vitamin B. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us tonight. It's been a great time. I hope to see you back next week, guys. Until uh, next week. For Fandom Power, my name is Wes. I'm Andy. And I'm Hank. And we will see you all on the next one. Bye for now, everybody. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms.